0: time is better than now tell me where are you driving midnight cruiser where is your bounty of fortune and fame i am another hey
1: Gentleman joe low. yeah scott for one more time let your madness run with mine on episode five of Stealing in the Dan!
0: That's right, all you ladies and gentlemen losers out there in listeners' land. We're back to do it again, the dirty work of deciphering the cryptic ditties of the kings of jazz rock and excess. And yes,
1: I wrote all that down. Uh, I'm Joe McElhaney. I'm Scott Beckett, currently dealing with a blown mind. Uh, that was incredible. Yeah. Little
0: little uh, bathroom poetry I wrote <laughs> that was awesome while uh, prepping for the show. Today. Now
1: I feel like I'm doing a show with like a real like 70s FM DJ. Yeah, I feel entirely outclassed. Yeah, uh, we're here this week uh, to talk about. Uh, let's see, here I am, super prepared to tell you what track number? Track four. Track four. That makes sense. Episode five, track four. That's right. Uh, uh track four of uh, Can't Buy a Thrill, Midnight Cruiser. Yeah, as well as uh, two uh, cinema, cinema, cinematographic, cinema, cinematological uh, exercises, entertainment experiences, <laughs> yeah. experiments. Uh, yeah, inspired uh, by the song, uh, inspired, uh, suggested to us by the song, right, and and commanded to you to watch so that you can enjoy our dialogue about them.
0: Yeah, Scott. Scott gave me the pick of the forgotten. Two thousand competitive karaoke. <laughs> the <laughs> um, movie that
1: should have made Huey Lewis a movie star, in addition to uh, a pop star.
0: Yeah the the genre of one. Truly, <laughs> truly, Susie Generous. <laughs> yeah, Susie Generous, <laughs> uh, yeah.
1: duets. Yeah.
0: And uh,
1: yeah, and Joe uh, selected uh, for our viewing pleasure uh, the Elaine May uh, directorial effort from seventy uh, uh, six. Six. 76. 76 from the mid 70s. Uh, Elaine May does a uh, gangster movie in uh, in the way that only Elaine May could, uh, starring the uh, luminous uh, John Cassavetes and and Peter Falk uh, teaming up together uh, to to do an Elaine May gangster flick. Uh, uh, Mikey and jo- and Nikki. Mikey and Nikki. Did you almost say Mikey and Joe? <laughs> <laughs> it's a uh, uh, no, no, uh, because Dakota clearly edited that out. Not that it ever existed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: um. Uh, yeah. Let's, first, before we get rolling on this thing, uh, Dakota, what'd you think of Midnight Cruiser? We just we just listened to the track?
1: So, I'm noticing an area that Steely Dan gets into that I equate to, like, fish.
0: Okay. okay. Very often. Tread carefully, <laughs> sir.
1: Um, and it's kind of this, a little bit, maybe, cornier quality. Yeah. Like, a little bit. Yeah. And the other thing I was thinking is they use the term gentleman loser, which sounds really Cool, mm-hmm. but could like also be like a synonym for nice guy. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Like a like a neck fedora guy. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Yeah.
0: I think at the time having a neck beard and a fedora might have had a different connotation.
1: <laughs> you might have but... been legitimately cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, uh corny. I think uh I, the, the only good news I would say is, is is strap in. You've got a long long journey ahead of you and it's not all this corny.
0: Yeah. Exciting. This is a rare um I don't want to say sentimental song, but um, I think, as we discussed with any major dude uh, mm-hmm. song, kind of a, a pure expression of friendship. This is it's bittersweet, but it's it's a song about friendship.
1: Yeah, this is uh, this is Donald and Walter, like not far off of Tin Pan Alley, right? Like they're still yeah. writing tunes that Barbra Streisand might potentially record.
0: Yeah, where is Tin Pan Alley?
1: <laughs> I think it's in New York. Okay, I, th- I think it's like um, like the Brill Building. Okay, uh, is is in New York? I, I assume it's Manhattan. Back before like the entirety of Manhattan was unaffordable to to mere mortals. Yeah, uh, there were still you know like the the village was a place that poor people could live.
0: <laughs> I'm, I'm imagining guys with like hot dog carts, and they just have. Uh, Ten pans hanging above <laughs> them, and
1: they're like hitting them with spoons on yeah, the street. Yeah, the, the cover of Pretzel Logic is was taken on to— No, I'm just oh, like, well, I'm <laughs> damn, Scott. No, no, no. Somebody's no. been doing too much research. <laughs> yeah. Uh, cool. Yeah. Uh, Midnight Cruiser. Oh, actually, so even before uh, Joe and I launched into our thoughts about Midnight Cruiser, we did want to uh, do a little bit of cleanup.
0: Uh, oh, for some, yeah. from some
1: previous episodes, jumping all the way back to uh, to episode one, uh, our mm-hmm. Steely Dan starter pack episode, the song that we were both trying desperately to remember but could not find in our brains is "Glamour Profession" yes. from uh, uh, from uh, Gaucho. Yeah,
0: I was uh, almost going to let you not remember the album and then come
1: back <laughs> next week they- <laughs> in five episodes. On episode ten, we will tell you what album. Uh, glamour profession is on. Yeah, uh, great song. Uh, yeah, relevant cool. to our current time uh, because the NBA finals uh, happened just recently. Uh, so I don't know anything about that. <laughs> uh, Toronto, uh, Toronto, the oh. Toronto Raptors won their very first ever NBA championship. I and,
0: forgot that glamour profession was about
1: the yeah. Toronto Raptors. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. Like, what could you expand uh, on the smashing the backboards? He's Jungle Jim again. Ah. I mean, the song, I think I believe the song is it's supposed to be like it is from the perspective of a coke dealer to the stars okay. and the. first verse is like he is the coke dealer to a very successful basketball player
0: oh oh, i can't wait till we get to that (laughs) what the picks are gonna be we're gonna run out of stuff
1: (laughs) yep uh and then uh i think from the same episode uh we talked about um uh Aja, descri- and this actually did happen, this, we weren't wrong about this, people describing Aja as being like simultaneously a New York album and an LA album, and mm-hmm. so maybe it was the first album that they cut in LA. They cut all of their albums in LA. They yeah. they grew up in New York, Donald and Walter did, but their entire career, recording career as Steely Dan, they recorded in LA.
0: So if any like real hardcore Steely Dan fans listened to episode one and were like, these guys don't know shit, <laughs> and they stopped listening... Um, Joke's on you We figured it out You should come back and listen We
1: know exactly how dumb we are Yeah And you'll never know that we know that we're dumb Yeah So how dare you
0: Yeah Good luck listening to some other steely damn podcast
1: (laughs) Any major dude I will tell you They only have three episodes They haven't recorded in months So good luck Yeah
0: I still haven't listened I'm afraid to be influenced by them
1: It's a it's a worthy pair Cool, uh, but yeah, here we are back in uh, in episode five, talking about track four, Midnight Cruiser. So um, I assume this one uh, also not being a radio signal, si- radio single, mm. uh, it's totally uh, capable of being a radio signal. You can transmit it via frequency modulation or amplitude modulation. And now know. with
0: Bluetooth technology. <laughs> the sky's the limit <laughs> this uh, midnight cruiser is just floating around in
1: the air all the time that's right the sky is literally the limit like it's you you could just put it in the sky yeah via any number of uh, uh communication paradigms <laughs> <laughs> uh but anyway but it was never a radio single yeah. uh so uh you know we we, we like to uh, break down the song in terms of like our pre steely dan fan experience our uh post uh steely dan fan experience and then our our studious steely dan podcaster experience so i'm assuming uh if you were like me that uh, you don't really have a memory of this song before digging deep into the steely dan catalog
0: yeah i think uh i think this is one that like most of the tracks on can't buy a thrill that i found when i listened to can't buy a thrill which was the first steely dan album yep. i listened to front to back um and uh, yeah, that's. I mean, that was that was my introduction to it. I don't know if it stood out to me at the time. Um, yeah, it's a likable track, mm-hmm. but I don't know that it uh, that it hit me hard at that period.
1: Yeah, I would I would say the same. Um, uh, like I said, I started with Citizen, which is the first time that I dug into the <laughs> the first time I dug into the Seeley Dan catalog was to buy the whole catalog on one disc <laughs> or four discs. But um, uh, yeah, this is the first time that I y- heard that song, and and like you, like I definitely. Heard it and, and like noted it in some way, but not in any major way. You're was like, oh, yeah. that is a song that Steely Dan wrote. Yeah. Uh, it's very pleasant. Yeah. Uh, it is literally unique on the Steely Dan catalog of um, uh, major LPs because uh, it fe- on lead vocals, it's got uh, the the original drummer, Jim Hodder. Yeah. Uh, who, as you uh, told us uh, last week or maybe a couple weeks ago, um, he had done lead vocals on a single that they cut uh, before... Releasing any LPs, Dallas, mm. uh, which Dakota, if you think Midnight Ch- Cruiser is cheesy,
0: yeah, wow. Although I listened to Dallas before the episode today yeah. to kind of get a handle on uh, Hotters' vocals, yeah. and I found some interesting parallels, and I I kind of like it. It's got like a Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young vibe That's to true. it. Yeah, um,
1: I mean, like anything Steely Dan does, the music is is you know yeah. like very uh, like technically proficient and. Uh, It's got a great feel. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Jim Hodder, uh, one of two drummers, it turns out. When they toured, even as early as, um, Can't Buy a Thrill, when they would tour, they toured with two drummers. Okay. Um, yeah, Jim Otter, who also uh, sadly passed away I think in 1990 or 91. Yeah, he, he drowned in his, his own pool. <laughs> in his own pool. Yeah.
0: Which is a I don't I don't want to make light of the man's death, but a very steely Dan character way to yeah, die. Yeah. Uh, um,
1: and like the I just assuming like the Hollywood Hills.
0: Yeah. There's <laughs> yeah. A, there's no way that there weren't tragic circumstances sur- surrounding a yeah. man's drowning in his own pool. Something yeah. else is going on to there's lead you to that. Substance point.
1: involvement. Yeah. 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 For sure. Yeah. So rest in power, Jim Hodder. Um, but uh turns in a uh, a vocal that I'll say I I like it better than David Palmer. Oh, hell yeah. yeah. I, there's, <laughs> I won't take it over Donald Fagan, but the, uh, I, I will take it over David Palmer.
0: There's a lack of polish to it. Yeah. Um, like David Palmer has the unique ability to be both polished and professional and bad (laughs) yeah yeah Um, Yeah, he's
1: hitting every pitch
0: yeah and it's just rings false the whole time but jim hodder especially the material of the song it it kind of works to have um corny vocals corny um nasally not quite not quite hitting the notes right perfect um i think it it really adds to the bittersweet flavor of the song
1: yeah, yeah. His voice is—he's got some of the the David Palmer plaintiveness, which which matches is like the sort of sentimental nature of the song. But uh, but yeah, not nearly as sort of like nails on chalkboard as yeah. David Palmer. Um, cool. Yeah. So like uh, now that uh, we've uh, spent some time studying it, what did what it, uh, what revealed itself to you? Um, I think
0: this is one of my favorite tracks on the album. Mm. Like, that's maybe coming a little too strong on it, but it, it's it's grown on me a lot. Yeah. I definitely I other than do it again of all the songs we've talked about so far, it's my favorite. Mm. Um, it's, I think it's, it's not sure as we've said, kind of this, the, it's not as cynical as most Steely Dan songs, although it's definitely got that, um, the world has moved on. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah, there's a sadness to it.
0: There's a sadness, and and it's about losers. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's there's a feeling of camaraderie in it that I that I I really uh, am drawn to. Yeah. You know. What about you?
1: Yeah, I would say likewise. Like it, like sitting down and really listening to it several times, it grew on me a lot. I decided, like at the end of the day, like my current position on the song is that I like it a lot better than I ever did. It just sort of like quietly. Floated by every other time I would spin this record, but like sitting down and listen to it, yeah, I I really really like it a lot more than I than I thought I did. Um, I like the um, just the very opening of the song starts with like the um, the the piano chords like very like like a like a major like da mm. and then the little minor figure like dun, 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 yeah, which like so like that like five seconds is like a little overture for the whole song. It's mm. like happy. Uh, wistful sad yeah. <laughs> just like in five seconds like here's what here's a preview of the journey you're about to go on
0: yeah that once it kind of uh hits that that groove with the bongos the drums and that that guitar figure you were talking about there's like a real cool snap to that too yeah. that's like i feel like i'm like walking through beaded curtains or something <laughs> it's like oh what's what's the scene i'm about to see yeah and yeah. it's it turns out the scene kind of kind of Kind of pathetic and small and sad yeah,
1: just uh. a, yeah just a sad sad scene um uh, i love the um the rolling bass in this like mm. i can't i th- i i think it's actually even just that like the bass and the guitar are playing the same part for a lot of it um because like the bass has this like edge that you don't normally hear on 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 uh on a bass line um uh but yeah it's like this like it's like quietly sort of like thunderously rolling around in the background mm. um and then, uh, like, I, I don't know if you would call them solos since they repeat, but there's, well, I mean, like, so I, I but just for the sake of simplicity, I'm going to refer to them as, like, the, the three guitar solos guitar solo one which repeats like it happens once just by itself and then they do another the second verse and then there's guitar solo one again and then guitar solo two and then guitar solo three which and they're not even like guitar solo two isn't even a solo because there's two guitars Mm. uh but anyway just for for the purposes of like uh discussion guitar solo one is the one that repeats twice guitar solo two is like the double the um right (laughs) I should not try to sing this <laughs> that's guitar line. Uh, but it's, it's the double guitar line that's it's sort of like high and soaring. Yeah. Like long soaring. is
0: the word I would use for it too. Uh, mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And then Guitar Solo 3 where, where Skunk Baxter really just like sort of unloads. Yeah. Um, but like, so like, just like kind of like we said last week with Skunk Baxter, just kind of like... Uh, like noodling in this way that sounds like he's sort of like like getting ready to unleash. Oh yeah, and the and you know? the
0: chorus is again, him, yeah, him kind of uh, snarling at the bit. Yeah, he's that's, like that's not the phrase. Chomping <laughs> at the bit. Yeah, it's actually
1: champing at the bit. This <laughs> the, it features in like a in a scene of a season three of Billions, but uh, okay, champing yeah. at the bit. Yeah, like technically it's champing at the bit. Most people say chomping at the bit. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> but uh, anyway, uh, we'll talk
0: about Paul Giamatti later. <laughs> yeah, we will
1: a whole lot. <laughs> um yeah uh so that's uh musically i think um all of my my bullet points on on sort of like the the music of it
0: would, would you say there's like a country vibe to or what it's something or it's
1: like it's like cal it's it's like the eagles like the way yeah. that the eagles sound a little country but i guess i would just call it like maybe like california
0: yeah you know yeah there's yeah california vibes
1: yeah, it's very uh, sunshiny for as like sad as the material. Like there's the uh, I don't know. If, yeah, that's why I want to call it like wistful instead of sad because it's like everybody's I mean, he sounds like he's singing with a smile on his face, even though he's like talking about how like.
0: Yeah, there's there's uh, yeah maybe California vibes, but as as we kind of discussed in our correction, um, I mean it's a New York song. It talks about Harlem. It's, right. It feels to me uh, like it, I just picture it like cruising around New York uh, at night. Um, yeah. Yeah it's so there there's already that blend of that clash of LA New York mm-hmm. that uh, runs throughout the discography
1: yeah uh lyrically um it's funny like i so first of all Th- Thelon, i was i was like as soon as as soon as i like stopped to think about the song i was like is Thelonious the only actual real life person that steely dan ever mentions like i know like on kings we said they talk about um king richard and king john but those are almost mythological yeah. characters even though they were Um,
0: historical figures. I I feel like there's gotta be more, but it's also, there's also kind of, uh, it's unclear to me in, in looking through the lyrics. I hear felonious. Oh, and I've, I've seen it spelled felonious and I've seen it Thelonious. Thelonious. Okay. Um, I don't know either way. It's a weird way to open a song. Um,
1: yeah. It just kind of grabs you like, okay, we're just starting with this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like that is not. I can't tell you what's particularly wrong with that, but something that's striking. Yeah,
0: in the way Hotter kind of sings it is. Yeah, it only underlines the <laughs> like awkwardness of like. Okay, we're starting a song with Thelonious slash um, felonious. Yeah. Balonius, <laughs>
1: <laughs> and a lot of his a lot of the lyrics on this like strike me as awkward, but I think like de- deliberately so. Like they're just written like it's like unusual constructions.
0: Yeah. Like uh, give it, give an example. Uh.
1: Um, the the one, um, uh, like this. And so the, so the second, like the second verse, like the same line starts with the world that we used to know. Mm-hmm. People tell me it don't turn no more. Yeah. Um, you know, so like, I mean, I get it. You're writing a song. You're not, you're not writing dialogue. So it's going to sound a little like stage, but then, and the, the one that really gets me that I even like wrote it noted down as we were listening to it before we cracked the mics. Um, the time of our time has come and gone. Yeah, uh, like I, I that one kind of drives me nuts a little bit. Yeah, one, it's not unspeak. a great line. <laughs> uh, yeah, in fact, like I, my my other note here was that I find the whole second verse pretty lame. I like the the first verse, but the whole second verse I find pretty lame. Yeah, lyrically.
0: Yeah, oh yeah, there's not. Uh... Yeah, it comes out really. It does come out really strong. Like yeah. it sets the scene uh kind of uh, friends reuniting mm-hmm.
1: um it's got that great line that we open the podcast with for one more time let your madness run with mine love yeah, that yeah. yeah
0: um yeah but then from there which one when, when we talk about my pick like i think that's why i picked my pick is mm. the first verse of the song yeah um but yeah then it then it kind of it kind of fizzles out a little bit um
1: yeah I, uh, I I uh, introduced to uh, to Joe last week after we recorded the episode. There's a, a great website, if any of you want to dig in as much as, as we are uh, digging in. There's a great website called the Steely Dan Reader that collects like every issue of a uh, fanzine that was published from like the early 80s um, uh, up to like the mid-90s. Mm-hmm. Um, the fanzine was called Metal Egg. This website is called the Steely Dan Reader, steelydanreader.com. Um, and then it, I think it attempts to collect, I have no idea whether they are complete or not, but it attempts to collect like every interview, every uh, media, um, appearance, every, um, article that's ever been, um, written about them. Uh, so I, uh, I have taken now to, uh, to Googling the site, searching the site for, uh, for the song. And, uh, uh, uh in one of them, um, they, they just asked, uh, Donald Fagan, his opinion on a bunch of songs. They just kind of like threw the songs at him to get his reaction. Uh, Oh, yeah. Especially like the sort of the frame on this was like uh, Donald Fagan and Walter Becker normally are adamant about not explaining their lyrics at all. They're mm-hmm. like they just they tell people like they're they're not as interesting as you think they are. Like we just wrote them to have something to do for the song. Like, don't think about it too hard. Um, and we and we refuse to explain them. Um, uh, but this one, they just they, they got him to say whatever he would say. Um and so uh, they asked uh, Donald Fagan uh, his reaction to Midnight Cruiser, and he said, uh, "Yeah, I'd say that's a good example of a song that sets a mood without actually saying anything." Wow. <laughs> and then uh, they did sort of a similar thing with uh, with Walter Becker, um, uh, but this one was like even just like without a frame. They were just like, "What are your thoughts about these songs?" Um, and uh, so Walter Becker, uh, Walter Becker's reaction to Midnight Cruiser was apparently he laughed and then said, "Jimmy Hodder's vocal, old song." <laughs> That's it, <laughs> uh, and then the only other one was you can't argue with it. It's true. Yeah, He's it's a great take. Factually on the song. correct. Yeah, uh, and then uh, the only other uh, reference in there was like there was an interview in the mid '90s with Fagin, and he was just talking about like you know they they Donald and Walter hated touring and they didn't do it for a long time, and then in the '90s they started touring again, um, and somebody asked him how it was going, and he was talking about you know how they tend to have these like small pockets of like rabid fans. Uh, and he said, "He said a lot of them request Midnight Cruiser, which I don't enjoy." <laughs>
0: yeah. um, that feels right. This doesn't feel yeah. like a song that they would proudly own up to, right? Yeah.
1: Um, oh, and I forgot to prepare uh, our, our 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 other favorite game. Like, what song? Who's? Uh, oh, who, what that, song is this? this? Is like the best song that somebody else never uh, never wrote?
0: I don't. I don't know if I have an answer to that one.
1: Yeah, um, I, sh- I feel like I should. Like having watched duets, like. Can we just say like it's not quite a soft rock song yeah it's it's got a little
0: uh, the guitars get a little aggro in there yeah <laughs> um, yeah yeah uh, i feel
1: like my default answer for this is always the eagles but it shouldn't be at least for a can't buy a thrill but like yeah we'll have to think about it some more if something pops yeah. in my head though.
0: yeah uh on back to the Thelonious Thelonious thing yeah um what, what do you take the like the I get the impression from your pick of duets that maybe you see these guys as musicians, Mm -hmm. right? Um, For me, when I hear felonious, my impression is, oh, these guys are criminals. Yeah. And maybe in Steely Dan, the line between those two (laughs) things. You're living an outlaw lifestyle either way. Pretty blurry, Um, yeah. I don't know. That, That to me is like kind of a... The best I can figure the the ambiguity of of felonius thelonius. Yeah, because I mean I have a passing familiarity with thelonius monk. I've listened to you know a fair amount of his work. And yeah, the song there's nothing in the song that like
1: particularly feels like a reference monk. to
0: him um well i
1: mean yeah oh it's funny because like the I mean,
0: madness thing um
1: yeah that and like i was i was gonna say like but i had to listen i was gonna say like the bass line stood out to me and Felonius monk was a bass player but like
0: no he's a, a pianist no yeah
1: sorry i'm yeah yeah yeah, again, musical idiot. Um, I was thinking of <laughs> Mingus. That's yeah, right. yeah. Me Mingus. Yeah, Confusing with Mingus. No, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so even then, I mean, it does. Well, it does have a prominent piano part, but I mean, lots of Steely Dan songs do.
0: Yeah, but Thelonious Monk has like his piano style is very like stumble into these kind of mm-hmm. um, plinking uh, piano lines, and it, there's nothing about the song that the song's too smooth for that. Right. Um, so I don't know if it's just. Maybe it's just a sound thing. Felonius is a weird name.
1: Yeah, four syllables. Yeah,
0: yeah. I don't know.
1: Yeah, totally could be. But um, yeah,
0: uh, gentlemen losers. Just, oh yeah. To me, an iconic line.
1: Yeah, and I don't know if we said it on the podcast before, but uh, that is something that we thought there's something we entertained as a possible title for the podcast. Yeah, which I, like we probably would have picked, except that like it doesn't. It's not explanatory enough.
0: Yeah, and there's a band called that, which uh, I think could be. And if they're not a Celia Dan cover band, then they should give the name back. Yeah. yeah. I, I feel like they're like alt country or something, uh, which okay. that's makes a, that's, sense. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll allow it. Yeah. Um, yeah. What, wh- what do you think the Midnight Cruiser is? <laughs> I, it took me until today to be like, oh, I don't.
1: Yeah. I mean, it sounds like, I mean, it just like based on like, like literally where are you driving Midnight Cruiser and then uh, drive me to Harlem or some of the same, I kind of assume like now I'm trying to run through all the lyrics of the same, but it, it, it kind of seems like you said, like a New York scene, like um, uh, uh somebody's like walking down the street and then you see like somebody that you used to know pull up in a car and, and stop at the stop sign or stop at the light or whatever. And then you have this sort of like improvised conversation and, you know, maybe it's late at night, you know, mm-hmm. you're, you know, walking out of the bar, smoking a cigarette or something. And uh, you were, you were maybe heading to bed, but like, it's like, ah, maybe let's find an after hours place. Yeah. Do it up like we used to.
0: Um, I was singing that, maybe a cab, and then I was like, is the friend... See, is, is the guy getting in a cab, and then this, his old friend is the driver? Oh, yeah. And then I was like, the Midnight Cruiser is probably time or death. Because <laughs> it's yeah. like, the song is really... Uh, the world has moved on yep. and, and left these guys. They go to... Is is it in the second verse with the the line about like we go to places and people don't the faces don't smile at us no yeah, more? Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, the world that we used to know, people tell me it don't turn no more. Um the places that we used to go, familiar faces that ain't smiling like before.
0: Yeah, I I kind of I'll I'll go back on the what <laughs> I uh said about the second verse. I kind of like that line. Yeah. Um it it it's a good way of putting that that sensation of like People, something's changed in these people, and it's right. how they're looking at me. Yeah. Um,
1: it is. It, it is effective. Yeah. I, I mean, I still don't like the time of our time has come and gone. <sighs> yeah, that's
0: bad. <laughs> and the wording is awkward, but the yeah. the the concept that they're relaying um, resonates.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, right. Yeah, I get again. It, it it does communicate something. It's not purely redundant. Like they're saying, like we had an era where we were on top of the world, and like that is. Over. <laughs> yeah.
0: And whether they're criminals or musicians, I mean, that makes sense. Right. You know? um, yeah, totally. And uh, just to go back to the, the parallels with Dallas, because I, I find this kind of interesting. Um, we did it last week a little bit with Barbra Streisand. Uh, I meant Mean to Shine. Yeah. Trying to find some parallels there. Um, just a few lyrics from Dallas. The back streets of this old town I know so well. Mm -hmm. Right now I'm wondering where the good times have gone. I've been living low so long. Very (laughs) very Steely Dan. uh, Very Midnight Cruiser. Like, let's find these weird shadowy nooks and crannies of our town. Yeah. Um,
1: But still, like within steely dan like that's the that's the shinier happier steely dan yeah yeah <laughs> like at some point they're just gonna really lean into the dark side of all this stuff yeah and but da- now it's still a california record about a new york story yeah
0: and dallas is i mean the chorus is about escaping dallas and oh, most yeah. steely dan songs there's no escape <laughs> there's <laughs> yeah. no getting out there's no hope yeah
1: yeah cool midnight cruiser
0: yeah good good track good good shit it's weird that of the first four songs on this album three different vocalists at this point for somebody let's imagine we're back in 72 right first people to ever buy the lp you put it on you're like what's the steely dan band about four tracks in you have no idea what fucking band you're listening to yeah uh unless i mean you sense i maybe people sensed the kind of continuity of of all their I don't know the, their themes and their um, uh, their uh, fusion of styles. Maybe that was clear immediately right out of the gate, but yeah. looking back, it's like what? How does you come out? You want to set your identity, right? And the first side of your album is just all over the place. Yeah, um,
1: yeah. I guess like yeah, maybe it would make more sense in the seventies because. Yeah, like especially like if you stop here it's like this almost seems like um like Chicago or something like mm. sort of like a big ensemble. Mm. You know like I you know like I feel like when I became aware of like bands as a thing, like I always thought of as like a tight group of friends, you know, which I know is like often not the case, but like yeah. that's how like that was always like my conception of a band. And then anything that was different of that was like a weird aberration. Mm. But it's like I mean, there were bands like Chicago and, and stuff like that. And, you know, I mean, Steely Dan basically like, is the, I mean, even though it's, it's really the expression of two guys, but it is this like sort of large collection of professional musicians. Right. Um, yeah. So maybe it made more sense. Like there was one other thing on the Steely Dan reader. It was somebody else writing about, I forget exactly like what the main thrust of the article was, but he mentioned the writer mentioned, um, how he came to, uh, Steely Dan was somebody gave him, um, can't buy a thrill. I think maybe even before it was released, like he got like a promo copy or something from somebody's agent, um, and there was already buzz around the record. He was like he had heard that this record was a thing, but he didn't know what to expect. Um, and he spun it, and he said the two songs that he really he was like he's like did the I didn't love the record the first time I listened to it, but I did like Reeling in the Years and Midnight Cruiser. Oh, wow. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's interesting.
1: Yeah. Which was, yeah, I can't imagine like spinning this record and being like, ah, oh, Midnight Cruiser, like that one grabbed me.
0: Yeah. Like, yeah. is it only because we've heard do it again on the radio and right. reeling in the, Ye- well, reeling in the Years" does seem like an obvious centerpiece yeah. to me. I Feels mean, like even, single, yeah. even in the positioning on the album of right. where it is, um, like, would you know, like, would you be able to say like, oh, these are the clearly the hits from this?
1: Right. Oh yeah. I well yeah. If I had just spun that record, there's no way I'd pick do it again.
0: Yeah. Um yeah. Yeah, it's I don't know. Very strange.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um yeah. should we should we talk movies?
1: Yeah, let's talk about some movies.
0: Um I'm gonna pause to go to the restroom.
1: I've I had a lot of water before. <laughs> yeah, well no, stay hydrated. Yeah. Tell me
0: where are you driving? Midnight cruiser. Where is your body?
1: Back, we're yeah. ready to talk some yep. movies.
0: Well, let me adjust this mic. More. There it is. Okay. Yeah. So we're going to start with your pick. Uh,
1: yeah, I think so. Um, so we'll go in reverse chronological order this week. Um, we'll start with uh, Duets uh, from 2000, directed by something. Paltrow, Bruce. Yeah, Bruce Paltrow, Gwyneth's dad. Uh, wonder how she got the part. Yeah. Um, uh, released in 2000. Uh, as uh, As Joe said, uh, it's a it's a movie about competitive karaoke. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um I like this is my memory but I didn't confirm this but like um the song Cruisin that um Hughie Lewis and Gwyneth Paltrow perform in the movie I feel like was on the radio for 3 years after this movie came out.
0: Um I don't remember that but when I did my Wikipedia research it was a number 1 hit yeah in Australia and New Zealand. And uh, Gwyneth Paltrow doing Betty Davis' Eyes was number three in Australia for a while.
1: Interesting. I think it got a ton of radio play here. And so, like, I'm... I believe it. I mean, like, I'm sure it was... It's it's a very, like, Jack FM song. Mm. And I feel like that was the era when Jack FM was still
0: really... I'm not familiar with Jack FM.
1: It was... It's like a... um, like a lot of stations turned into it, it Jack FM I think was one in several cities but a lot of times it would, that that's they would rebrand the sta- the the station as like instead of being like WMZQ now it's it's Jack FM um and it's but it the format was adult album alternative like AAA mm. you know like um you know Tom Waits and uh, Mary Chapin Carpenter and mm. um, Tracy Chapman yeah, yeah 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 that kind of stuff yeah um yeah But I feel like that song got a ton of uh, play then. But this the movie I think by by all accounts was like a total blip. Yeah, it.
0: I I was an Entertainment Weekly reader as a precocious ten year old. Yeah. Um, this came out when I was eleven, I guess, and uh, I remember it being just like maybe uh, like a B minus small review in the corner or something like it, it. Completely forgotten. When you pulled it out, I was like, <laughs> I didn't know anybody had seen the movie. I'd never heard anybody talk about it since seeing it in Entertainment Weekly as a kid. Um,
1: yeah, I don't. I don't even have a clear memory of how I first saw it, other than like I assume it was. So I was in the Marines from. 2000 to 2004 mm-hmm. um and a, one thing that i did a lot was just buy dvds like knowing nothing about them i bought dvds the way most people buy magazines you know just right. sort of like oh the cover looks interesting um and because like it, you know this is like you're talking about the px so that they didn't have like a robust collection right um so i i, I ended up seeing a bunch of weird stuff that i would not have seen otherwise i think that's how i I first saw this one. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, how how much did it sort of set it up, right? I mean, it's a movie about uh, uh, competitive karaoke um, starring Huey Lewis, Gwyneth Paltrow, Maria Bello, Andre Brower, Paul Giamatti. um, Oh, and Scott Speedman. Uh, Canada's (laughs) finest actor. (laughs) I have a lot of thoughts uh, about Scott Speedman. Um, Yeah. uh, But yeah, and it's sort of... um, like uh, it's you know so all of these people that are somehow involved with the world of competitive karaoke, some people like just finding it for the first time, some people they're like old salts, uh, but they 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 sort of like meet in um, I guess so what is that like four different pairings or just three different pairings?
0: I, I th- three
1: yeah just yeah. the three pairings um, around the country and then they all end up uh, through. The plot uh, uh, (laughs) pushing them to Oklahoma City for a big... No, Omaha. Oh, yeah. Omaha, Nebraska. Omaha, Nebraska for a huge uh, karaoke tournament featuring a purse of, can you believe it, $5,000.
0: Where they perform (laughs) in front of about 100 people. That the sound mix of the movie makes sound like 200 people. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. In a hotel bar. Yeah, yeah.
1: (laughs) It's... Which, um, now that I'm thinking about it, like, well, anyway, we'll, we'll get to that. Um, yeah. I, 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 that does make sense with a, with a point that I wanted to make about the movie. But, um, so yeah, that's, that's basically like the story of the movie. It's Huey Lewis and Gwyneth Paltrow. Um, it turns out Huey Lewis is Gwyneth Paltrow's, like, long lost father. He never knew that he mm-hmm. had a daughter, but he goes to the funeral of his former lover from years and years and years ago. And then meets Gwyneth Boutrow and turns out that, that she is his daughter.
0: Yeah. And, uh, his, her grandmother is Angie Dickinson and a <laughs> one scene cameo. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, um uh, we well, she just show up again later. Or, no, I guess, well, it would, yeah, I guess it's how you call it one scene. Because, like, she's at the funeral party, but they do have, they have, well, the scene at the trailer, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, but, yeah, so it turns out, like, Huey Lewis, uh, it seems like, it's never, like, totally stated, but it seems like he was a, um, just, a, you know, like a sort of, like, a veteran music performer, like a journeyman musician. And then, um, you know, probably, like, never had a ton of luck with anything, so just got into competitive karaoke. Like, the opening scene of the movie is him hustling somebody at he's, karaoke. He's a
0: karaoke hustler. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, literally, crazy.
1: he's just, like, sitting at a bar, and they're talking about this guy who, the local uh, guy uh, who's, like, who never loses the the local purse. Um,
0: Perfectly cast as just a total, uh, I don't, it. I can't remember what the actor's name, but right. he looks like... The guy who would be the star of Tulsa, Oklahoma. Yeah. Um Yeah.
1: Right. And so uh, uh, Huey Lewis's character pretends to not know anything about karaoke and karate. Karaoke <laughs> okay, calls the whole thing like like lame and stupid and they're like, Well, what you think you could do better? And he's like, oh, I'll give it a shot and he busts out Joe Cocker and he's amazing. Yeah. Like I I'll say like just right off the bat, like lay my cards on the table just so everybody knows my biases. Like I unironically love Huey Lewis like mm. I'm not like a giant fan but like I have no beef with his catalog whatsoever and we'll listen to Huey Lewis uh, anytime somebody wants to put it on mm-hmm. um, yeah so and then uh, so that's like the first scene is like he's hustling somebody and he wins uh, and then he um, finds out that his um, his his old girlfriend has passed away so he goes to the funeral meets his daughter for the very first time mm-hmm. then cut to Scott Speedman
0: yeah, yeah. Cut to Scott
1: Speedman, who <laughs> non-entity
0: Scott Speedman. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. So this was my note. Uh, I'll go ahead and lay it out there now. It's like, uh, I feel like at this time, Scott Speedman and Scott Kahn were neck and neck, with maybe Speedman having a slight advantage, and Scott Kahn has vastly outpaced him since, and that is because the universe does have some justice.
0: Yeah, <laughs> and his dad's famous,
1: right? I
0: don't uh, know who. I don't know what Howard Speedman is doing. <laughs> <laughs> how dare you Howard yeah.
1: Speeman was great in a local production of uh, Sun is in the Park with Jordan yeah yeah, no, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, yeah I don't know I, and again I don't know why like this is like uh, who was who was I throwing shade at internally last week but um, I don't know why I feel the need to to throw so much shade um, yeah I can't remember who, who got the the wrath <laughs> of your scorn <laughs> Uh, but yeah uh, uh, But this week uh, Scott Speedman Is the winner of my shade He's just like I don't know man Like he he's, he's, He belongs on A box of Wheaties He doesn't belong Yeah in a,
0: well, And not to mention well, well we'll get into it But his character yeah. Does not sing in the movie He's <laughs> yeah. really there He's not an audience surrogate like, Yeah Just He does nothing right. In the movie he's, uh, he's, Has no purpose Yeah
1: yeah. So and it, it turns out like so. You cut to him like he's out of jail, uh, picking somebody up because he's a taxi driver, a midnight uh, cruiser. Yeah. Uh, fair. Yeah. Uh, and he's the only taxi driver that will pick up the people from the jail because people getting out of jail historically don't tip. Yeah. Um, and he ends up uh, unbeknownst to him, he's picking up his former third grade teacher, mm-hmm. who's been arrested for shoplifting. And it turns out now is like a very profane lady with a very bad Irish accent. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <What> the fuck. <laughs> Uh, anyway, um, so he picks up his old Irish, uh, his old Irish teacher who, uh, lets us know, um, that, uh, she always thought he was a fuck up. Um, mm. uh, but, uh, he also like, he went to the seminary to study to be a priest, but yeah. left the seminary. Yeah. Uh, and now he seems to be just some sort of like the aimless do-gooder. He's just he, like, he's
0: like a spiritual searcher that yeah. he says something like uh He walks in on his girl cheating on him, and right. he's like says something about going to like a Zen Buddhism seminar right like, yeah yeah, uh, yeah,
1: yeah, so I guess like he's real shook by this meeting with uh um with his old third grade teacher because he heads home early unusually mm-hmm. early and catches his uh his wife um in bed with well yeah, i guess like, we don't we don't know that they're necessarily married, but his significant other um in bed with uh the guy that owns the other half of his cab." <laughs> <laughs> Uh,
0: um, yes, a man who lacks Scott Speedman's uh um <laughs> uh, good looks.
1: Yeah, and it's I mean it's completely generic inex- good looks. I don't, yeah, I, I, yeah we, we can get into it when we start breaking down the movie, but like I don't I don't yeah, like right, he's like way less attractive I guess, like, maybe this is supposed to say that, like, Scott Speedman's, like, spiritual quest is sort of insufferable. And it might drive a, an otherwise good woman to, uh, to the arms of another man. Um, anyway, so uh, Scott Speedman goes out to get drunk, uh, as you do, uh, and uh, ends up at a karaoke bar with no interest in performing karaoke. But Ma- Maria Bello is there. Yes. Uh, to uh, win the purse. Mm-hmm. Maria Bello is quite good at karaoke and apparently just, like... Uh, Gets around the country by offering sexual favors to people.
0: She sucks dick <laughs> to get to get a taxi cab painted pink.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I, again, like I don't, I'm not really sure. This movie puts out a lot there without really, without really making like a strong statement about like what what it thinks about that or what you're supposed yeah. to think about that. Um, and, and you, on would- the one hand, it's like you know, like. I get Like she Like Maria Bello's character Doesn't seem particularly disturbed By the fact that she gets around The country by offering oral sex So like I, If you don't have a problem with it I don't have a problem with it Right I mean there, I hope you're using protection But you know
0: You would think also That the movie is setting up That Scott Speedman right. And Maria Bello Are gonna somehow rehabilitate each <laughs> other And fall in love Yeah No <laughs> That doesn't
1: happen yeah, or, or
0: sing together <laughs> Or anything Yeah yeah
1: yeah Scott uh,
0: Speedman is just Her fucking ride <laughs> At one point, she says, she's she's uh, calling him a loser. They are getting a little tiff. And she says a line that I had to pause the movie and write down. Yeah. You're going to be jerking off to me on your goddamn be- deathbed.
1: <laughs> Which, sure, there's like a possibility that I will be jerking off to Maria Bello on my deathbed. Like, she's a good looking woman. She's she's had some great performances. Uh, the but, cooler. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that's a it's a bizarre bizarre statement. Um, yeah. anyway, so so <laughs> cut from that <laughs> to Paul Giamatti, who oh, turns out God.
0: and this this is really I think the
1: heart and soul of the movie. Yeah. Like, um and, and like every review I read of this said that like this movie has too many characters and none of them get enough time and this is the most interesting story, so like it probably should have just been the story. Although this is like also in some ways the most awkward story. Oh yeah. Jesus <laughs> But so we cut to Paul Giamatti, who it turns out is like a traveling salesman. He's like just shown up. He's like a couple minutes late. Uh, for um, for a sales pitch or some sort of he a sells meeting.
0: amusement parks he's, or something. He's
1: like a fixer, I think. He's like he's like trying to get this amusement park product project off the ground. Mm. Um, but so he like comes in, he's like, "Hey, I'm sorry, I'm late." And they're like, "Yeah, no problem. Have a cup of coffee." And he's like, "All right." Uh, uh, he's like passing out binders, and he's like, "Hey, listen, uh, the the guys in sales love everything that's happening here. and The guys in marketing are super excited. Blah 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 blah." And then he starts to slow down and realize that everybody's looking at him like he's crazy. Mm-hmm. And he's like, "What what's what's the deal?" And they're like, "We don't have any idea what you're talking about." And he's like, amusement park and they're like this is the poultry farmers association Mm -hmm. and uh, it turns out like not only is he in the wrong meeting he's in the wrong state yeah Uh, he thought he was in uh, Jacksonville or somewhere in Uh, Florida yeah but he turns out he's in Houston so uh, you know they actually do like a pretty good job of like like, quickly and humorously establishing that, like, he's a world-weary traveling business guy. Um, so, then he ends. they cut to um, him showing up to his home in suburban wherever, mm-hmm. um, nondescript location. <laughs> um, he's got two kids that, like, can't be bothered to care that he's home. His,
0: his son in a year 2000 VR headset. Yeah. Totally immersed in his video games.
1: Yeah, and his daughter doesn't care. Uh, so, he goes up to to see his wife, but his wife is extremely online. <laughs> She says, Could
0: could you not? I'm online right now. (laughs) I'm
1: online right now. Yeah, she was extremely online before that was a thing. Um, uh, So. um. (laughs) And the the, the heavy uh, metaphor when he walks
0: into his home is his wife has plastic runners everywhere, and he's on this path of plastic runners basically walking from his kids upstairs to his wife.
1: Yeah. It's a giant house in suburbia. It's like gotta be at least like 3,500 square feet. It's got it's one of those ones where like the second floor, like opens onto a huge atrium living room. And, uh, but yeah, as Joe says, like there's plastic everywhere and he's like literally like following. Yeah. He's like walking the line in his own house. Yeah. Um, and you know, he's like all, um, uh, frazzled from, from being on the road and everything going wrong. And, um, uh, Uh, so, uh, and nobody cares that he's home. So he (laughs) he announces that he's going out for a pack of cigarettes, uh, to the, to the laugh line, but you don't smoke. Um, so he, he's a laugh
0: line that nobody has ever laughed at. (laughs) Yeah. Just Uh, hangs there in the air through the whole movie.
1: Yeah. Uh, so he, so he, so he goes out to, uh, to get drunk and ends up at a, uh, hotel bar. Uh, but the hotel bar is, uh, is having a karaoke night. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some Manic Pixie Dream Girl character <laughs> there. Uh, I forget what song she sings. Um, but anyway, like, uh, uh, Paul Giamatti just, like, goes in, like, wide-eyed. Like, what is all of this? Yeah. And she... Uh, <laughs> so he's like, hey, you were really good. And she's like, cool, you should go do it. And he's like, I, was, I could never do it. And she's like, well, here, take these beta blockers. Yeah. Um, and she, like... Uh, I, mean, I, I think it does, like, a decent enough job of, like, setting up that, like, he's just enough on the edge and he's he's, like fed up enough with his life that even though he is legitimately terrified, he's going to do it because it's something's got to give. He can't go back to his, his normal drudgery. Uh, so he takes some beta blockers, has a beer, uh, uh does karaoke. She she kisses him, which right.
0: inspires like she just grabs him and kisses him after shoving this beta blocker down his mouth.
1: Yeah, which I guess like if whiskey is Irish courage, is that French courage? Uh, what kind yeah, of courage yeah. that is <laughs> when a random girl just kisses you. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, uh she, she yeah, she she gives him a, a big deep kiss and then uh he goes up there to to do uh, uh Todd Brungrin. Um
0: Hello, it's me. <laughs> uh,
1: and then from there he just decides that like he's, he he is meant to do karaoke.
0: After after one false start, <laughs> they're like, okay, we'll reset it. People in the audience are like, Oh, this guy doesn't know what he's doing at karaoke. He doesn't know how to karaoke works they restart the song yeah. and he tears into it 3 seconds later his his jacket's coming off and he's throwing it in the crowd he's yeah. finally alive it yeah. happens like that it's uh,
1: <laughs> yeah which and it's like some reviewers pointed out like maybe the one like uh catchy line of the movie um she says uh uh you know he's like what what's the deal with karaoke and she says it's like be- it's it's amazing it's like being a star for 3 minutes yeah yeah
0: somebody else referred i think the first guy that Huey Lewis uh uh griffs yeah uh says karaoke's a way of (laughs) life and the movie maybe believes
1: that maybe yeah the movie thing like if i thought the movie was going to be a bigger deal than it was uh the movie thought karaoke was going to be a way bigger deal than it was like it seems to posit this world of karaoke that certainly doesn't exist now and i'm not sure ever did exist no it didn't yeah (laughs) I'm not a sociologist, as you know, but I can authoritatively say yes. uh, this version of karaoke never existed.
0: <laughs> it's much like the movie's vision of humanity uh, <laughs> never existed the way portrayed here.
1: Yeah. Uh, so just to get to the rest of the plot... Um, Uh, Andre Brower, we catch up with him. He's, um, (laughs) hitching a ride on the side of the road or no, I guess we cut to him like in the cab of a semi truck. Yeah. Uh, so he's, he's hitched a ride with the truck driver, the truck drivers telling him I got to drop you off shortly. Um, by the way, like good luck getting another ride because I can tell those shoes are prison shoes. Yeah. Those are the shoes they issue you in prison. Um, and, uh, uh. (laughs) <laughs> what? Oh, Andre. No, I'm forgetting. Like, uh, oh, oh, yeah. Andre, he says, what, what What were you in jail for? And he says, An error in judgment. And yes. the guy laughs. And he says,
0: A line that has resonance throughout the movie. Yeah,
1: yeah. It, it comes back time and time again. Um, so uh, the truck driver's dropping Andre Brower off. And, and then <laughs> uh, Andre Brower, after getting out of the truck, decides he's going to hold the guy up. Mm-hmm. Uh, he produces a pistol and, and holds him up, uh, presumably, takes some money. Um, and then. Uh,
0: but he's he says something like, "This is the only way I know how to make right. money. I'm a singer." Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and uh, oh
1: yeah, and the, and the truck driver spits back, uh, "Learn to trade." Yeah, <laughs> and he goes, "I and he says, I I, I have like yeah. Yeah, this is, yeah, yeah. This is all I know.' Um. So then Andre Brower like walking down a lone desert <laughs> road, uh, and Paul Giamatti comes careening in this like crazy like seafoam green Cadillac. Uh, just like like swerving all over the place, driving like a maniac. All of a sudden he's got a uh, he's got like a crucifix earring like yeah. a la um like uh yeah boy George or uh I'm trying to think there's oh uh like Richard Grieco. Yeah. <laughs>
0: he he's he's on uh, some Bennies that he got at a gay bar. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. And Drinking so, beers. So this is how Andre Brower and um, and uh, Paul Giamatti hook up. Uh, yeah, is Paul Giamatti offers him a ride. Uh, neither of them really have any place to go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it turns out Andre Brower doesn't know how to drive. He's never learned because he like grew up in the city. Uh, so Paul Giamatti tells him he'll he'll um, he'll teach him how to drive. Uh, anyway, uh, so then we just cut back and forth between all of these different people as they make their way toward Omaha.
0: Yeah, and. The relationships that develop between the people, Paul Giamatti and Andre Brower, they do a duet of uh, "Try a Little Tenderness,"
1: which I say kills.
0: Yeah, um, and you know become very close friends. They they at one point Andre Brower says that he loves Paul Giamatti. Yeah, um, their relationship well etched or. It's at least going for something.
1: Yeah, right. There's a thought there.
0: Uh, Gwyneth Paltrow and Huey Lewis, they're like, I don't know. Maybe there's some father-daughter bullshit here. Yeah. And uh, they don't really develop it too much. Um,
1: Gwyneth Paltrow's character is like like a like sort of like both airheaded and wise beyond her years. I guess yeah. like street smart, but otherwise ditzy. Yeah. Sort of like uh, a Lisa Kudrow in Friends. It, but it's... Like she's, she's no nonsense, but she's also kind of like... I don't know, floating around,
0: but it's very vaguely presented. So you're yeah. like, I'm not sure. Maybe her dad just didn't want to like tell her what to do in the right. movie or something. Yeah, because um, she she does not come off looking good in this. I don't think. Yeah, she's uh, pretty bad. And then the as we've mentioned, the Scott Speedman Maria <laughs> Bello duet that never fucking happens. <laughs> um, I'm not sure what the fuck they were going for with that. At the end, Scott Speedman becomes like Gwyneth Paltrow's love interest. Yeah. Sort of
1: in like thirty seconds. Yeah, they like, like bump into each other. Out front of the hotel.
0: And he goes and he he's she goes up to him and she's like, Hi, I bumped into you. <laughs> and that's like the big like he's yeah. like, Yeah, I remember it happened three seconds ago. <laughs> yeah. And then they just kind of smile at each other. Yeah. Every time you see them from then on. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's bizarre. Yeah.
1: Uh yeah, I don't know. I this movie. Yeah, I want to hear your thoughts, and then I'm going to run through my bullet points. Um, I have a lot of bullets.
0: Yeah, there's a lot to go over. I think... (laughs) I want... I want to say that this movie should be a cult classic. Yeah. It should be... And fuck The Room. (laughs) I'm not saying that this is as bad as The Room.
1: It's not as incompetent.
0: It's not... It's it's hack work, but it's... um, (laughs) It's every bit as insane to me as The Room.
1: Yeah, no, totally agree. It's way more entertaining uh, than The Room. Because it's like, right, it's competently shot. Like, they had a real DP.
0: Yeah, they're... They had a real
1: DP, a real sound guy, you know.
0: And I think that there is (laughs) something trying to be expressed by this movie. There is... They are truly striving for something.
1: Yeah, it's like 40% of a normal Hollywood movie and like 60% of a, like, and I'm like, these are not, these are like, I'm like, like this, this movie is 40% of the way toward being like a typical Hollywood release. Like mm -hmm. if you just sort of like sanded down some of the rough edges and like clarified and like probably just cut Scott Speedman's character and Maria Bella's character out of the movie. Yeah. Like, you could have, like, with the right script doctor, you could have made this like a normal Hollywood movie. Yeah. It would have been uninteresting, but fine. It would have been yeah. delightful Saturday afternoon entertainment. Or I feel like this movie also could have been a David Lynch movie. Yeah. It's got this
0: weirdness. <laughs> and I think what it is, there is at no point a place in this movie that feels like a real place. Everything is like these anonymous, sterile environments that That like... never
1: existed anywhere.
0: Yeah, like the bars look like...
1: These all like country-esque bars... Yeah. That are full of like country-looking people. Like they look like people who live in the the hills of East Texas, Mm. but are somehow huge fans of Todd Rundgren. Like when Todd Rundgren comes on, they cheer.
0: Yeah. And, (laughs) And like Paul Giamatti's home... Yeah. Is just like clearly a set... Um, yeah, all I mean, the I think hotel that one is rooms. supposed to
1: feel like sort of like nondescript white label. Yeah, everything in the but movie that's the to only me, one that feels, feels that seems intole- way. Yeah. Oh, so maybe there is an intention there. Yeah. And
0: I was like, but there's no sense of like a director or directorial intelligence or script intelligence no. trying to make a point, but there is all this stuff that Paul Giamatti says about kind of, like, being a prisoner to this, like, corporate lifestyle and how America's...
1: The strip mallification of America, yeah.
0: And it's, like, he thinks the karaoke bars are, like, <laughs> the, yeah, the way escape, out
1: of that. The pure human element, yeah. But if anything,
0: the movie is, like, just... <laughs> it's sad, but it doesn't know that it's sad how, like... yeah blank and and uh dead and like similar like there's no sense even though there it's a road trip movie there's no sense that we moved anywhere it's like it feels like because every uh,
1: place they go to or from is the same yeah yeah.
0: and it's like if they were trying to make a point there that would be kind of interesting and profound i think it's just an accident yeah but it makes the movie more interesting um for that Mm -hmm. um yeah and there's just like the relate the Paul Giamatti and Andre Brower stuff is truly insane.
1: Yeah, it. I mean, it's like it's kind of interesting. Like it's interesting that you have right, like this guy who says he's like metaphorically breaking out of the prison of American culture. Yeah, paired up with a guy who just got out of prison and is like, you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Like that's interesting. Yeah, it's really awkward that the guy who just got out of prison is the only black guy in the movie.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I think we have to talk about what happens in that relationship, yeah. too, because it it's is, real bad. It is. I was trying to figure out, like, is this movie going for like a Robert Altman's Nashville light? Yeah. And the mm. end kind of t- tilts towards that because eventually Paul Giamatti realizes Andre Brower is a criminal. Right. Um, he's unstable on drugs and alcohol. Right. <clears throat> He starts get uh using andre Brower's gun, yeah at one point they're at a convenience store Andre Brower's asleep in the car, mm-hmm. despite being a criminal, very uh i would say angelic borderline magical negro character, yeah right exactly um he wakes up, he goes inside, Paul Giamatti is robbing the place mm. he Tries to de-escalate the situation. Yep. The convenience store owner starts shooting at them. <laughs> yeah. And it's implied that Andre Brower kills the guy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, never to say, clearly stated. save Paul Giamatti or Paul Giamatti kills the guy.
1: And Andre Brower is
0: going to take like, the fall for down
1: it. Down the road in the movie, Andre Brower saying, like, I'll take the rap for it.
0: And this climax is <laughs> <laughs> one of the strangest <laughs> endings yeah. I've ever seen. Our angelic Andre Brower, the Adam only Obama. character, only major character in the movie who does not sing his own songs. Right. That should be noted. Yeah,
1: he's the only actor. Yes. Like Paul Giamatti is actually singing. Maria Bello is actually singing. And he can carry a tune. I was surprised. Yeah, all of uh, them. Right. Yeah. Very complicated. Andre Brower's is the only one who, like somebody else, they have like a stunt double singing.
0: And he goes up <laughs> and sings an
1: acapella. Yeah, no CD at a karaoke tournament.
0: Um, I would say homoerotic. <laughs> Uh, rendition of Leonard Skinner's Free Bird
1: Free Bird (laughs) like the whitest song the whitest
0: and he's at this point he is trying to get Paul Giamatti to go back to his wife yeah Um, yeah he's invited
1: well not invited but he called Paul Giamatti's wife and was like get out to Omaha and get your husband and save his life
0: and he decides to make a sacrifice as the police close in
1: yeah like since the convenience store the police have been chasing this duo the the police come
0: in as he finishes freebird moving Very soulful yes moving everybody in the audience yeah and he pulls out a gun and the cops gun him down on stage <laughs> in
1: front of everybody at the omaha the 100 people who sound regional like people championship for
0: $5000 um which the reactions to afterwards <laughs> Well, that was something. Uh, a Huey Lewis, very flat at the end of the movie, says, Yeah, yeah I've never seen Freed Birds sung that way before. <laughs> <laughs> but Paul Giamatti, like, runs up and, like, has, like, this tearful death moment with Andre Brower. It's, yeah.
1: And, and Andre Brower, like, by the way, like, this is a terrible part. And Andre Brower kills it. He's very good. I mean, yeah, Andre Brower's an incredible actor. Yeah. And, like, he he goes 100% in this movie. Mm-hmm. I hope he got paid a lot,
0: but the implications of that sacrifice <laughs> yeah dude, like let this let this uh white guy escape his corporate lifestyle be reckless and dangerous and violent, yeah, and then let With a criminal no uh let a guy just because he's been in jail before, yeah, um take the fall, a guy who's black, yeah, <laughs> which uh, makes it this, yeah. this guy sacrificing himself so that a white guy can uh cut loose, yeah. It would be prob it is problematic.
1: Yeah, this movie is like almost like it's like you'd almost have to call it reactionary. Like it's
0: But in the context of the movie, like everything this- is so insane that it kind of <laughs> makes sense.
1: Yeah. yeah, it makes as much sense as anything else that happens. Oh. Yeah. It's bizarre. I'm gonna run through my bullet points real quick. A lot of these we've done. Uh the sequin jacket on the guy in the opening scene. Mm. Oh, so and so this is the thing. Um the thing that I think this movie does well is um the karaoke performances are like good karaoke performances, but mm-hmm. they're not like studio quality recordings. Right. Like, I think it's, it, and in like, like all of the suckers that, um, that Huey Lewis goes up against, like everybody else that does karaoke, like these, like, it's these, like, other than, like you said, like the sort of like anonymous settings and everything, the performances are pretty naturalistic. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, these are all good karaoke performances. I was like, and, uh, cause I feel like that's a hard thing to do. It's like, um, You know, like, uh, what's his name in in Barry on HBO? Like, it's hard to act badly. Bill Hader. Yeah, Yeah. like Bill Hader. It's, like, really hard to, like, act badly. So, like, I think this... Although, I mean, I guess you could say, like, Paul Giamatti is, like, a good but not great singer. So maybe they just were like, hey, just do it. But, like, either way, like, it it struck me. I was like, that is a bit of an achievement to, like, capture sort of, like, naturalistic, good but not super polished Mm -hmm. karaoke performances. And I was thinking, like, there was, like, a sort of bigger version of that idea, what what we were talking earlier it's like <clears throat> it does like a yeah it's like everything's like a good sort of like not great version of uh, of everything else but um it, yeah karate it's a way of life uh seven and seven a drink that i used to drink a lot when i was in the marines that's what uh, huey lewis orders at the bar um,
0: I, I was a fan too
1: yeah yeah <laughs> um uh yeah, the Joe Cocker, I mean like that's a great song. And Huey Lewis, like if if you're gonna have somebody who's not Joe Cocker sing that song, Huey Lewis is like maybe the only acceptable substitute. Yeah. Uh yeah, he's good but not too good. Um it's still it's all believable. Um
0: when he launched into that song, that's when I went from dreading having to watch this movie to being like, This I'm I'm in for the ride.
1: Yeah, the performances at least are good, right? And yeah. like that's like the thing that sticks out to me, like we we talk I mean the, the performance of Try a Little Tenderness. Like I I I've like pulled that up on YouTube fifty times. Like I legit like get frisian every time I watch that performance. Like that's good. Yeah, Um, they sell it. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a good performance that song and it's good acting. Like like you said, like they're it's crazy that like these two guys bond immediately over doing a Otis Redding song. But like they do sell it. Mm. Um, Yeah, and I said yeah. So like all these bars, like you said, are totally inexplicable. Like maybe this random bar in Tulsa. They do say it's Tulsa. Maybe they like Joe Cocker. There's no way that they, I forgot, I didn't write it down, but there's no way they like whatever song the first guy did. It was like some soft rock song. There's like yeah. a lot of like soft rock 70s yeah. stuff in this, which is slight tie-in with Steely Dan. Um, uh, oh yeah, Huey hooks up with the uh, curly redhead from the bar. <laughs> Uh, oh yeah, I wrote down, Giamatti has hair. This is like yeah, it's been yeah. so long since Giamatti had hair. Uh, he's got like a, a, like a seventy percent of a full head of hair.
0: Young Giamatti still looks kind of old though. Yeah, <laughs> he's no, like still middle aged. Yeah. He's always been middle aged.
1: Yep. Uh, as I said, uh, uh, I wrote down who who would guess that Scott Kahn would beat Scott Speedman in the War of the Scots. Mm. Um, uh, oh yeah, uh, the uh, Mrs. Gehagen, the uh, third third grade teacher, uh, drops an awkward Trump reference. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I almost rewound because I was like, did I hear that right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, because she's like, you're probably just a sad loser. And he's like, well, I own half of a cab. And she's like, oh, yeah, Donald Trump's scared of you or something. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I was like, ah, fuck Trump. Can't escape him even in, even in this like, bizarre comedy from the 2000s. Uh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. So I wrote down, Miss Hagen is a Dan fan because uh, she shares their outlook. Uh, mm, she says that yeah. uh, the world is a sewer and we're all living in hell.
0: A line that gets echoed later. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, the taxi partner got Speedman's girl. Uh, the carpet runners you, you mentioned in the, in the Grossman Mansion. Uh, Giamatti killed the turtles. Yeah, they, oh. right. So Andre Brower's <laughs> character laid down his life so that Paul Giamatti could go back to destroying turtle sanctuaries. I, I'm,
0: I wrote this line of dialogue down at one point when, <laughs> when Paul Giamatti and Andre Browers, uh, they, Giamatti realizes that Browers a criminal. He's trying to, they're about to, he's leaving the car. Yeah. They're about to break up. This is what Paul Giamatti says. You sing like an angel and you don't even know how to drive a car? (laughs) Yeah. That is what is wrong with the entire culture, Reggie. It's why I, me personally, why I destroyed the breeding ground for an entire race of turtles. (laughs) All in the name of a water slide, Reggie. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Fucking gold. (laughs) Yeah, I feel great. I told I told Joe this before we cracked the mics, but I feel I was nervous when I said this last week. This movie and like rewatching it and reading a couple of reviews, like A.O. Scott, like I so I looked up A.O. Scott's review and he was like, "There's a lot of bad movies. Very few bad movies are bad in as, as interesting a way as this movie." Exactly. Is. <laughs> I, I'm not a bad movie
0: fan. I don't like to roast shit. Yeah, but like I do love when. People try to express something, <laughs> yeah in a in a way that makes no sense at all. Yep. Like this is to me like sleepaway camp level good bad movie where it's like, yeah, this is fucking interesting. I could study this for years and never figure out how it's made. Just yeah. like a masterpiece. <laughs>
1: yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, so Giamatti killed the the, the turtles. Uh, oh yeah, I wrote down his. Um, <clears throat> His wife had a very speak-to-your-manager haircut. I'd like to to speak-to-your-manager Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I wrote down Gwyneth Paltrow, like, absurdly skinny. Like, not even, like, sort of, like, past attractive. Just, like, you are, you look like a wireframe. Um, She's so skinny. Oh, yeah, and then I wrote down, (laughs) because the movie telegraphs the fact, the reveal that... um, that uh, Huey Lewis is Gwyneth Paltrow's father so heavily that I, like my note was just he's your father and I wrote that whoa whoa what because <laughs> it's like uh, comic uh, almost yeah the, the the way that they telegraph that Um <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the really awkward scene where they're all sitting around in the trailer and uh, uh, they're like making him sandwiches, but they don't have anything in the refrigerator because the power gets turned on too, turned off too often. Oh,
0: I forgot about that. Um, There's so many details in this movie.
1: Yeah, Huey Lewis is just sort of like trying to be noncommittal about everything, and he's just like throughout that whole scene, he's just continuously nodding in a very tiny way, and mm. it's like <laughs> one of the best acting choices I've ever seen. <laughs> Physically, he's just doing this tiny nod continuously for like three minutes. I'll um, look for that when I go back. And watch this again tonight. <laughs> you definitely will, yeah. Uh, Paul Giamatti goes to Bonita's is the name of the bar, mm. uh, or wherever he is. Uh, Sheila, right, was the um, the Manic Pixie Dream Girl that turns him on to karaoke. I wrote down that she's a bit much. Yeah. Um, I wrote down the line, I guess I went into sales, because I think that was like a, a reaction. Like, you know, uh, you know cause he's, uh, would it, it must have been something about, like he said, like I used to sing in the choir or something. And mm. she's like, what happened? He says, I guess I went into sales. Like, I don't know. <laughs> That's a line that the movie thought was great for sure. Uh beta blockers, Todd Rundgren like Dirty Work. I was like, you know, uh yeah, you know, we talked about uh um uh the all music guys take being that uh dirty work was uh Todd Rundgren covering no three dog night covering Todd Rundgren. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, uh shout out to episode two. Uh
0: three. Yep, yeah, two two but three. Right <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Three but two. Yeah, exactly.
1: Um uh yeah, I said has everyone has anyone ever cheered for Todd Rundgren ever <laughs> again? Like something that's never actually happened in real life. I get pretty pumped.
0: <laughs> yeah. I love Hello, it's me. Okay,
1: I mean I like that song, but it's yeah. just like the people like wildly cheering. Mm. Uh, uh, but I did say like uh, again, like Paul Giamatti's character, like that is a character that would rock the fuck out to Todd Rundgren, and the like,
0: song is picked for him. There's a lot in this movie where like somebody else picks the song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, maybe that's a metaphor.
1: Yeah. Uh oh, the the Japanese guy at karaoke, like real bad look. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. wow, this is just like three seconds of intense racism. <laughs> yeah. Um uh, Maria Bellas uh Pixie Cut, the first time we see her is uh is is pretty good. I wrote down oh man, I wish I remember I can't remember who exactly this is, but I wrote down is that Charlton Heston? Uh,
0: I know what you're talking about. Maybe the <laughs> truck driver. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I thought it was old Randy Travis. <laughs> <laughs> Like, yeah, yeah. I was like, damn, Randy Travis really aged.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean it's yeah, it's very obviously not Charlton Heston, but yeah, he's got yeah. like Charl- has, Charlton Heston energy. Um uh oh yeah, there's some there's I didn't catch the whole line, but there's some he the 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 truck driver drops a not bad line about being colored in Utah. Mm. <laughs> like uh Utah's a dangerous place to be colored. Um his language, not mine. Um uh error in judgment. Uh <laughs> yeah. I wrote that, uh, Giamatti's cross earring, uh, rules. Uh, I can't rate to read Paul Giamatti's manifesto. I wrote that at one point. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. <laughs> yeah. And then, yeah, he he drops the line. I've lived my life in tiny rooms setting up this thing of, uh, yeah. Cause then, and then uh, Andre Bauer said in many ways, so have I, um, uh, slippers and a towel. Oh yeah. Like uh, the, the, they finally settled down in a hotel room for, for one night. And, uh, um, uh, uh Paul is like in just a towel but he's wearing slippers. It's bizarre. <laughs> uh wouldn't understand care I don't know. Uh, oh the spray deodorant like um, oh Maria, Maria Bella, uses Bella uses spray deodorant, spray deodorant. that struck yeah. me as odd too yeah <laughs> yeah, I was like, I was, yeah amongst
0: the many odd things in this movie
1: yeah 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 oh yeah there's like a there's this is when I started to think like it, this did not occur to me really when I recommended it but on rewatching watching it I was like yeah like this movie has like some very Lynchian moments and like one of them like in that scene like of uh, Scott Speedman and, and Maria Bella in the hotel room there's a there's a crazy push in on Scott Speedman's face mm. and I was like what is going on yeah I. <sighs>
0: I'm a huge Lynch guy. Yeah. I think, yeah, they're, they're, what Lynch does well is he, like, finds these dead moments. Yeah. And these moments where something is just slightly off and he amplifies it and has control over it. Mm -hmm. This movie doesn't have control over it, but it it unintentionally does it so often that it becomes, like, just fascinating. Yeah. Uh, What I think, like, like the room, I think.
1: Right. Uh, And Lynch might have even occurred to me because I think of something you said on one of the previous episodes about, um, like a, uh, I think I can't even remember what movie he was talking about. but You were talking about like whenever there's like a musical performance in a David Lynch movie, it's always mm. real, like weird.
0: Maybe it was Inside Lewin Davis. Yeah, we yeah, yeah. Um, yeah.
1: Right. Every time it's like it's it's really like weird, like like offsetting. There's something yeah. about it's like uncomfortable. It's coming from another world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I was like, all of the uh, like a lot of the musical performances in this are kind of like that. All the like maybe not try a little tenderness, but a lot yeah. of them are like there's like a weird uneasiness, a to weird it. like
0: flatness. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, so that's when I started thinking of David Lynch. And then the other time was like when they were at the truck stop, like they cut away from like the the end of that scene is like they cut to just like a wide shot of the truck stop. And there's like a truck going down the highway in the background. But this, this, I don't know if it's just like the, the B unit only shot two seconds and they needed five seconds. But that shot is in like this really herky jerky slow-mo. Hmm. And I was like, that's either like, like either they are leaning into this David Lynch thing or it's just like, like, I think they're like, I I, I mean, obviously like the most likely thing is like you said, like they just stumbled into some Lynchian awkwardness. Yeah. Uh, It's hard to believe (laughs) that they would do anything interesting on purpose. (laughs) Uh, Spray deodorant, uh, crazy pushing on Speedman, Otis fucking Redding, doubled vocal lines, mirroring Mm -hmm. the doubled guitar lines. Uh, uh, Always love it. Uh, I legit get Frisian while I listen to that song. Um oh yeah and one of the uh, so in that scene uh, there's a, a bit of humor because as they're performing two cops walk into the bar and mm-hmm. Andre Brower starts getting nervous and like looking for a way to get off stage but Paul and G he's about just... to pull out his gun when they <laughs> approach Yeah yeah that's right. yeah like i guess he's just going to wow. gun down two cops in the middle of a bar Yeah um and so like the whole time that they're singing Andre Brower's kind of like nervously looking at these cops and then but then he sort of like loses himself in the fun <laughs> of the karaoke and uh, they get to the end of the song and they're like hugging because now they're best friends for life. Uh, <laughs> and the cops start approaching and Andre Brower sees them walking up and he's, like, he's getting super nervous. And yeah, he he reaches the gun. Like the movie very clearly shows him reaching for his gun. And the cops come up uh, and they say, me and Scott here, we're going to go up tonight. But after seeing you guys, we're not even going to bother. But it's like another fucking Scott. Uh, yeah. A late entry into the War of the Scots. Scott Scott. Scott. When you're
0: a Scott, you see Scots everywhere. <laughs> it's true. Yeah,
1: it's true. Uh, but uh, Scott Conn still wins the War of the Scots. Um uh, Giamatti is a total fucking psycho at this point in the movie. Mm. Um, uh, he has a
0: tie for a belt at one point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> <That's> very <laughs> strange.
1: Yeah, the movie starts to get really on the nose about uh, yeah. When Paul Giamatti starts asking him like what his past is, and he's and, and Andre Brower has to deliver like the you don't want to know lines, uh, real bad. Oh, (laughs) uh, they cut to Gwyneth Paltrow finally doing uh, karaoke. She does Betty Davis Eyes, Uh, but I wrote down that she's doing like Sprocket's Claps. She's doing these like very like reminded me of like the Sprocket skits that uh, Mike Myers used to do on SNL. Mm. Now is the time on Sprocket's when we dance. Um, So I wrote down uh, uh, her Sprocket's Claps. Uh, (laughs) Oh yeah, this is an adequate representation of karaoke because like every other time that any every time I've done karaoke. I, I always have this thing of like, oh, I picked the song and like, oh, yeah, I'm doing a good job. I remember all the words, blah, blah, blah. And then you're like, fuck, I forgot how long this song is. Like the outro is like two minutes long. Yeah. And like that, like that is true of Betty Davis Eyes. And like any normal competent director would have cut that. But they're like, nah. Yeah. no, nah, yeah. we'll just do the full outro of we're Betty gonna, Davis Eyes. We're going to let it land. <laughs> yeah. It's the one that like this movie like legitimately loves karaoke. Like that's they they every song they do the whole fucking song all the way through. It's yeah. skipping nothing. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah. Um, so the guy that uh, Huey Lewis tries to hustle at this bar has a rat tail dyed red. Oh, uh, super I missed that. Oh yeah, and he has a manager. Yes. the, ki- the local karaoke star has a manager. I can't remember.
0: I can't remember what town they're in at this point, but yeah, uh, not a place where you could make a living on karaoke.
1: Somewhere between Vegas and um. Uh um, uh, Omaha. Yeah, yeah. I guess uh, so. Maybe yeah. Reno? But no, Reno would be the other way. I yeah. Anyway. I don't know. But yeah, anyway, wherever this tiny no name town is, there's a guy who's so good at karaoke that he has a manager. Yeah. Uh, uh again, uh a version of karaoke that has never existed in the in the uh, real world. They make a really bad gay joke, uh just to round out the uh uh racism homophobia. Yeah. Um Oh, uh, because like the manager steps up to be like, this is my boy. And yeah. Huey Lewis is like, oh, you guys are together.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Got him. Yeah. Zing. Uh, just to round it all out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but um, Huey Lewis does Jackie Wilson. I was like, oh, yeah, cool. Jackie Wilson. Um, <laughs> Before
0: he's so rudely interrupted.
1: Yeah. Uh, must have cut back to uh, Maria Bello and Scott Speedman because I just wrote down Judgy Speedman. Speedman's yeah. Judgy. Uh, this ain't Kmart, pal. Oh yeah, that's in the uh, in the convenience store yeah. where Paul Giamatti maybe kills a guy. Uh, great line. This ain't Kmart, pal. Uh, shade to Kmart. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. And th- th- this is like, the- and the score here. I mean, I guess like this is like they're trying to like play up the tension, but the score sounds like unsolved mysteries. It's like a really, really bad mm. synthesizer. Um, yeah. And I wrote down this is almost Twin Peaks, like sort of like st- stilted awkwardness. Um, Maria Bella does Bonnie Wright. Huge fan. Uh, by the way, uh, yeah, just like throwing this in here, sort of an out of place, like what's good. If you have not listened to Bonnie Raitt's first record, it's really, really good. It's okay, it's like from the 70s, like she's 17, but still sounds like Bonnie Raitt, mm. uh, and it's like just like really, really cool, bluesy, um, uh, uh, album. Uh, but yeah So respect to Maria Bella's character For doing Bonnie Raitt I just wrote down I don't even know What I was reacting to at this point But I just wrote down Scott Spiegelman is the worst Oh I think this is just him Like mooning over her As she's doing karaoke Yeah Because he's been like Judging her this whole time Like yeah, you're a dirty whore Yeah uh, But then she starts doing um, I can't make you love me um, And he
0: sees the goodness in it. You think it's romantic But yeah. uh, And I'll say He's you- seen her suck too many dicks <laughs> I guess <laughs>
1: her words not mine if you want somebody to like awkwardly moon over a girl Scott Speedman is maybe your number one choice but it's like, his
0: default expression <laughs> he looks that yeah, way more.
1: just sort of this like yeah like unqualified look of admiration yeah <laughs> um, he's so pure <laughs> Scott Speedman is a national treasure <laughs> for Canada he's Canadian yeah, it's the pinnacle of Canadian culture oh man um oh i just wrote down oof with the speech in the men menswear story yeah like almost every reviewer said that the uh uh you feel sorry for me i feel sorry Uh, for you
0: i should also say in that scene (laughs) speaking of lynchian weirdness huey lewis and gwyneth paltrow they were like okay where are we going to set this dramatic scene okay huey lewis is shopping for clothes Mm -hmm. he's doesn't know what he's shopping for he just like walks up to random racks and like it's like (laughs) yes that's a robe (laughs) yes this is pants and it's like he's not purchasing anything he's just kind of like annoyed walking around (laughs) yeah looking at things directionless directionlessly
1: yeah it's incredible uh oh yeah so Candy finally uh, makes her way out of suburbia into Omaha and I wrote down that's
0: Giamatti's wife
1: yeah and I wrote down that her hair is like sculpture at this point it's like uh it's like like corporate art mm-hmm uh, Maya Rudolph is the uh, host of the karaoke contest
0: Well I saw her name in the opening credits yeah. She's the music supervisor Along with her dad on the movie Oh wow cool Yeah and I, I was don't... like is that the same Maya Rudolph And then I saw her at the end and I was like
1: holy shit Yeah yeah and it's gotta be like pre-SNL
0: uh, I think she was maybe getting on at this time Maybe not okay. while they were filming though
1: Yeah 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 But um, yeah cool yeah. good good job Maya Rudolph Glad Maya Rudolph got paid yeah. That's like yeah, one of very few good things that happened out of this movie uh, yeah I wrote down Speedman and Paltrow are fucking perfect for each other yeah, like those just vapid <laughs> vapid yeah uh, Michael Bublé is uh, yeah. one of the random yeah. uh, and like looking like Justin Timberlake from that era like mm-hmm. the very sort of like gelled curly hair um, <laughs> Tanya and Hobie, I just really like them. They look like they look the the they were like the older couple that did Blue Moon, mm, yeah, uh, and like did a really good job of it. I mean, they do. Uh, this is the one time like at the competition, they're like cutting to various. They do they yeah. do just snippets. Um, the blue 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 moon, uh, and they look like Baltimore people. Mm, yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like old timey, but like eccentric.
0: Yeah, there's definitely a Baltimore. Very Hampton. Like good call.
1: Yeah, they look like they. I was like. They, uh, they, uh, anyway, yeah, they must have been from Baltimore. Uh, Maria Bellows' hair was real bad at the finals. She looked like a Spice Girl.
0: Well, to be fair, she was just throwing up in the bathroom <laughs> yeah, beforehand.
1: Yeah, but no, like the the like it was that it was. I mean, I feel like what's like one of the Spice Girls had that haircut. It was like you know, it's like a bob cut, but like the pieces are like pulled out to be like sort of individual. Thick oh, strands. I know what you're talking about now. Okay. Like I thought l- you just
0: meant her hair was a mess. I, I see it. Yeah. No, like
1: the, the, the actual style. It's like, yeah. it was very like late nineties. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's real bad. Um, hard to make Maria Bella look bad, but that haircut almost does it. Um, she does do an amazing um, uh, analytics uh, impression. She's like a pretty, mm. pretty competent uh, Linux, which is a tough, tough look. Like Annie Lennox is pretty uh, singular voice. Uh, yeah, at this point I just started right yeah, like you said, like the, the movie has done nothing to sell like why does Andre Brouwer suddenly want to lay down his life for this guy? Yeah. Uh, yeah.
0: <laughs> I guess it's just that like i he mean, taught he, him to drive. That's what he says. That's <laughs> his dedication before he sings a song. Oh, yeah.
1: yeah. Uh, but he actually like, yeah, I don't like if I I can imagine like being in Andre Brower's shoes and trying to be like look at that line and be like, Jesus fucking Christ. And like he does like maybe the only delivery that makes sense. Mm. He's like, This song goes out to a friend of mine dumb and jab like yeah. throws it away as like kind of like a little joke
0: who amongst us <laughs> wouldn't die Whom's for the man us? who taught us to drive yeah shout out to mr wims <laughs> from happy school driving
1: <laughs> right on uh. what up, mr wims uh yeah i wrote down um oh yeah I don't miss all the baby doll dresses mm. like Maria Bellows wearing a baby doll dress and Gwyneth Paltrow like exclusively wears baby doll I was like I don't miss those at all could they just the never...
0: women's style in this movie is especially not aged well and Paul Giamatti's tie belt and <laughs> an earring yeah to signify his newfound rebellious uh, nature
1: yeah uh, <laughs> yeah I finally wrote down toward the end of the movie why does Giamatti pronounce cerveza the way that he does every time he says and he says it like 20 times oh, he says cerveza he's like, like can i get a cerveza every time he says cerveza i was just like wow like that's like i guess like that's his character is like he's so corporate that like that's the only interesting thing about him is yeah. he calls beers cerveza. He, he took spanish <laughs> can i get a cerveza uh, john panett doing copacabana uh-huh. pretty good i, I don't know the, I don't john know Panette, that. he was a he's a stand-up comedian oh, and, okay and like actor he passed away a couple years ago um oh. uh, but yeah he's the big guy doing yeah, copacabana yeah. And like doing a good job um <laughs> yeah, I said Brower doing Freebird doesn't make this any less awkward. Like everything about that is awkward, including the song choice. Yeah. Uh <laughs>
0: I guess it could have been Sweet Home Alabama.
1: <laughs> yeah, something, yeah. Uh I wrote down at the end of the movie that Giamatti looks like a like one of the guys from The Lost Boys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he's got this great line, this gem of a line. I'm different now. I sing.
0: <laughs> yeah, he's telling his wife like I'm, I, you know, things are going to be different. Yeah. Uh, You know, he doesn't mention that he maybe killed a guy or witnessed a murder. Yeah. uh, That he caused, but uh, you know, he's changed in good ways.
1: Yeah. I wrote down uh, Carrie. Yeah, his wife seems like she she looks twelve years old. Uh, she's just very young-looking person, Mm -hmm. and like her character is kind of childish. (laughs) Again, I don't even know what I was reacting to, but I just wrote, "Fuck off, Speedman." (laughs) <laughs> I got real sick of his face by the time this movie was over. Ugh.
0: He does the turnaround when he's walking away at the end, oh, and then yeah, he invites yeah. Huey Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> you guys want to ride?
1: Like, yeah. <laughs> hey, Huey Lewis, you want to ride with me to Reno so I can make the moves on your daughter? Yeah. Uh, I'm sure Huey Lewis's character would have no problem with that, by the way. Yeah. Uh, and then I wrote down uh, this movie is low key Lynch for sure. And then my very last note of the movie, we didn't even talk about like the. The, the other thing that this movie thought was hilarious was uh, Paul Giamatti's recurring riff about frequent flyer miles never oh, being yeah. redeemable. But uh, the one place that does finally come through for Paul Giamatti is TWA, the uh, massive airline success that has since gone out of
0: business. Oh, yeah, nice. <laughs> TWA.
1: Uh, fun fact, my grandmother was a stewardess for TWA. She said it stands for Try Walking Across. Oh. There's a, there's a dad joke for Father's Day. All right. <laughs>
0: um, I just have one more note, which at... I think that this maybe could be the thesis statement for for the movie. Because there's, as bad as it is, there is no real villains. Yeah. Everybody that you initially judge proves to have some depth or what uh, is signified as depth. (laughs) Yeah, what the movie Uh, thinks is depth. Scott Speedman has this line as he tries to rally Maria Bello in a bathroom before her performance after she's just puked. Yeah. Listen. I'm always going to believe the world is beautiful and that people are basically decent. And if that's going to keep me from fitting in, I'd rather go through this life like a complete and utter retard (laughs) rather than have to accept somebody else's miserable reality. (laughs) In the tone deafness of his use of retard there to the the heart on its sleeve sentiment, that sums up the fucking movie right there. That's
1: a perfect snapshot. That is a perfect snapshot of this movie. Uh,
0: Also, the uh, Arrested (laughs) Development, Afternoon Delight uh, level of having father and daughter singing, cruising, where at one point they look at each other and say, this is not a one-night stand. (laughs) (laughs) Beautiful. Yeah,
1: Yeah. real
0: awkward. Yeah, go watch duets, man. Do it. Oh, and just one more thing. I looked up (laughs) who wrote this, right? And it's this guy, John Byram, and he... Wrote and directed this movie in the seventies during like the new Hollywood boom. Okay. Like called Inserts with Richard Dreyfus as a washed up film director who's alcoholic and impotent who makes silent porn films. <laughs> okay. And I, I had watched this movie years ago. I didn't like it. Yeah. But mainly because it was so filled with like guys showing off their cinephile references from the 30s. Okay. That I was like. And and the whole concept of, like, Richard Dreyfuss, like, the whole movie is basically about him getting a boner again. Mm. Um, But the fact that this guy, you know, 25 years later, writes this movie, it's like, no, this guy, he knows how to write a film. He's he's a student of film. I just thought it was interesting that, like, I don't know what happened in those 25 years or what the (laughs) disconnect is, but truly a bizarre lost classic yeah um, yeah so
1: good good picks <laughs> thanks yeah better than last week uh yeah fascinating movie go see it
0: yeah uh so now for my feel good yeah uh, pick. um 1976 is mikey and Nikki, uh directed by elaine may um improv legend one of the pioneers of improv comedy with uh Previous topic, Mike Nichols, yeah. Nichols and May. Um, less known for her film work, although her reputation over the past, I would say, five, ten years has gone up. There's been retrospectives of her in, I think, Toronto and uh, L.A. in the past uh, past uh, 18 months. Um,
1: like, with this movie, was it, with this movie, is this accurate, with this movie literally the first woman to direct a major Studio motion picture?
0: No, there had been there had been women directors before. I think she's the fourth. I read she's the fourth woman ever to join the Directors Guild of oh, America. Okay. gotcha. Okay. Um, Ida Lupino, the actress, directed some independent stuff uh, back in the 50s. And there's Dorothy Arzner um, directed stuff back in the day, too. Um, yep. But, uh, yeah, she's kind of probably best known for The Heartbreak Kid. Mm-hmm. Or really, probably best known for Ishtar, which right. was the punchline of jokes for years.
1: Until Gigli. <laughs> Until Gigli. Um, it was the Gigli before Gigli. Although
0: people have come around on it, Ishtar is the only one of her uh, films that she directed that I haven't seen, so I can't vouch for it one way or the other, but yeah. kind of an infamous flop. Right. She also directed The Heartbreak Kid, uh, not the one with uh, Ben Stiller, <laughs> but the original with Charles Grodin and Sybil Shepard, which yeah. is one of the great like cringe comedies of all time. Yeah. Um, this is kind of the outlier in her filmography, although all of her movies are kind of about corrosive relationships. Um, and it stars Columbo, Peter Falk, mm-hmm. and John Cassavetes, the great independent director, um, as Mikey and Nikki, who
1: apparently going into this were already like sort of like a noted cinema, c- yeah,
0: <clears throat> cinema duo. Yeah, I don't know how familiar you are with, like, Cassavetes I've, like, this is
1: literally, I don't, like, I've heard the name forever, but this is literally Mm. the first Cassavetes film I've seen.
0: Right. Uh, well, Cassavetes is known for his, like, he's kind of the, the, the god figure of American independent cinema in that he had, like, these very, like, they feel improvised, sweaty, people are drunk, and they're, like, they're talking inarticulately and not expressing themselves, and, uh... Um he has a movie called Husbands that for me was like huge in high school. It like it it supplanted Bukowski as my like vision of like masculine reality, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um but his uh he his he was married to the great actress Gina Rollins mm-hmm. and uh did some amazing work with her, a woman under the influence and uh uh, opening night uh, many in moskovitz and he's he's got this like handheld style this very like in your face um claustrophobic um, raw emotions yeah. um and a lot of people i think see this movie as connected to his work not just because he's in it but in in its style and and there's there's justification for that um but they play these low-level mobsters in philly mm-hmm. um Nikki, which is John Cassavetti's character at the beginning of the movie, holed up in a hotel room, just Mm -hmm. like paranoid, freaking out, drunk. He's got an ulcer. Yeah, Uh, He's smoking a crooked cigarette and just like looking at the door. And we find out that he's um, basically got a hit out on him and he knows about it and he's freaking out and he calls his his childhood pal and fellow criminal, uh, Mikey, Mm -hmm. his real life friend, Peter Fogg. Yeah. and he calls him in to to help him out and we find out that Peter Falk is there to basically help him get killed like mm-hmm. he's he's working with the the mob bosses to to get to get his old pal popped right. and the killer is uh Ned Beatty who spends the entire movie driving around trying to find parking yeah. and not being able to find them uh as they careen drunkenly through the city yeah. uh treating women like shit <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's a um it's not a comedy. The
1: no. the it's got mo- moments of humor, but yeah, yeah.
0: It's I described it as an anti-buddy film, mm-hmm. um, in yeah. that it is very much about. Um, as the movie progresses, the dynamics between these friends shift, mm-hmm. um, so that at the beginning it's uh, John Cassavetti's character in a desperate place, and then at one point they go see this woman, and one of the most uncomfortable scenes i've ever seen yeah um uh, peter falk like sits on while john cassavetes uh has sex with this woman uh, kind of forces himself on her mm-hmm. and then he's just sitting in the kitchen chain smoking and pulling some trash can sitting on a trash can making some of the most unpleasant faces <laughs> you'll ever see a human being make yeah while listening to his uh friend have sex with a woman and then he is rebuffed by her and like slaps her and at that point we start to see kind of more of the cracks in his character mm-hmm. um the resentments that this guy's like dangerously insecure mm-hmm. he feels like the other mobs just don't like him <laughs> and then <laughs> yeah. we see Casavetti's character kind of um get cockier and uh and uh the power dynamics between them change mm-hmm. um it's uh, the tagline for the movie. <laughs> I think this is fucking great is don't expect to like them. <laughs> That's and uh, at the time, the movie was um, just kind of, I think, dumped. Basically,
1: it was a very troubled, not troubled production, but troubled, um, whatever you call it, post-production. Yeah.
0: Like, Elaine, Elaine May had reputations for being difficult um,
1: and the studio hated it. Which is, like, not... I mean, I I definitely don't hate it. I think it's, like, very interesting movie. But, like, you could see why a studio yeah. would hate uh, it. Yeah, it's... How do you fucking not, sell this thing? Yeah, it's not commercial at all. It's
0: a crime film, but there's no, like, real, like... Yeah. It's seedy, and it has some violence in it. Emotional violence, certainly. But it's not... There's nothing cool or glamorous about the crime presented here or the criminal lifestyle.
1: Yeah, and, like, again, like, I think it would take away from the film if you did this but i could totally see i i didn't read that this specifically but they they said they wanted to do massive cuts to the movie and like yeah. i'm sure they would want to cut that whole scene with nell <laughs>
0: like oh yeah it's i mean it's, it's
1: it's super tough yeah
0: um and then you can't really sell it as a comedy cuz it's not <laughs> that funny no and she was worried she wanted her name to be taken off of it because she was worried that people would expect punchlines seeing her name uh, as the director uh, yeah um and i mean i guess the only way to really sell it is like, it's an examination of toxic masculinity and friendship. And how the fuck do you sell that? Uh, Yeah. um,
1: But I mean, I think it was, it ended up, it was like, it was like several years between when they finished production and the movie finally got released. I think she had to buy it off of the studio eventually.
0: I've heard that she stole a print of it and held it hostage in her garage. But yeah, she, she first of all shot, I wrote it down. 1.4 million feet of film, which (laughs) is nearly three times as much as Gone with the Wind.
1: Right. It's like the the, the shoot itself was like super long, not necessarily troubled. It was just like she just spent a ton of time on it.
0: I mean, as an improviser, the script, like you would think because of the way they talk and it's a very like loose dialogue. Yeah,
1: naturalistic.
0: um, Yeah that it was improvised and, you know, she's an improviser, but this is a script that she had been working on since like the fifties.
1: Yeah. They said like for the, like 99% of it is what's on the page. Yeah. Yeah,
0: But she would let the scenes go to see like what Cassavetes and Falk, two actors, um, very comfortable with improvisation and kind Mm -hmm. of getting raw, what would happen there. Um, and you can tell that it's, the movie is cobbled together from a lot of footage. There are continuity errors everywhere, But in a way that it's almost like expressive, like it's right. It seems like a choice. It's not sloppy. Yeah. I mean, it is sloppy, but the sloppiness is intentional. So. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's about as brutal a movie about friendship as I've ever seen. Um, yeah. It's the again, this is maybe of all of the movies that I've suggested. I think all but one of them have been circular because what happens here. Um, spoilers I guess beginning of the movie um, we have Cassavetes in a room Falk trying to get in to uh, ostensibly help him yeah. but really to to help guide him to his death mm-hmm. by the end Falk is uh, holed up in his house after mm-hmm. having a very interesting scene with his wife mm-hmm. um, and Cassavetes is outside while Beatty circles the block uh, banging on the door um, yeah. trying to get in trying to get some help and at this point Falk is not at he's he's gotta shut him out he's closing off his friend he's not willing to extend a hand anymore and Cassavetti's gunned down on his front porch in the middle of the fucking suburbs
1: and that scene goes on for like three solid minutes (sighs) it's like like John like 30 seconds in you're like oh John Cassavetti's is at a 10 and it's like no he's got another minute and a half before he gets to 10 yeah and Peter Falk slides the two armchairs in front of the door and he and his wife are leaning against the armchairs. Oh my God. It's it's brutal. It's I've, like legit brutal.
0: Yeah. I've seen the movie twice now and I thought, oh, maybe it'll be easier to watch the second time. I can kind of pick up on smaller details and whatnot. And it was like, It was genuinely hard to get through for me, which is pretty... Like, I can watch unpleasant things and get through it, but there's something about this that, like, I don't know, maybe it reminds me of friendships I've had. I've never had one of my friends killed, but... uh, (laughs) uh, Not that you'll admit. Yeah, not that I'll admit. Not that you'll say on mic. But there's definitely... I know the feeling of having friends that need help, and you're just like, I kind of just...
1: Yeah, Jesus, again. I'm
0: so sick of you that I'd rather see you fucking fail. <laughs> and, and that hurts to say it, but that movie, it dredges up some shit for me. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, what was what was your take? Uh,
1: yeah, I mean, it's, um, I'll say, uh, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, like, incredible acting performance. Um, the movie's got, like, incredible style. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> It's a, it immediate, like the movie does a great, like immediately you can tell this is a very deep relationship. It's unclear, like the exact nature, like you said, the the nature of the relationship and the details of the relationship reveal themselves a, a, over the course of the movie. But it is immediately obvious that this is a very deep relationship. Um, yeah, man. I mean, it's a it's weird. It, it's this real roller coaster of um, it took me, you know, it probably took me 15 minutes to sort of like get attuned to the movie. It is very like you said, like the the way it's shot, the way the Perky jerk rhythms. Yeah, the performances. Yeah. And it's I mean it's like totally like in media res, like and it's like it doesn't do the audience any favors really of you know explaining what's going on. Um uh so it took me like fifteen minutes to sort of figure out like where I was at and then and then be like sort of on the same wavelength as the movie. And then from there it's just like like you said, it's this total roller coaster of like some you know some levity, um some like real like pathos um and then like yeah just like be- between the the ending and the and the scene at uh at Nell's apartment just like really tough <laughs> yeah, yeah Um. but i mean like i definitely like it 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 was uh i'm really glad i i watched it it was i mean like I guess, yeah at the, at the at the end it was like i was sort of i mean it's like after the nell scene and then after the ending like the immediate feeling is like this revulsion. But then you think about it and it's like, I don't think it, it it didn't do it, it didn't strike me that it was doing any of that for shock value. Yeah. Like it seemed like the thing that I read in a couple of reviews was like this was, you know, I don't know if this was Elaine May's total intent, but like one intent seems to be like, you know for anybody that gl- glamorizes the mob life like this is what the mob life is really like. It's yeah. awful people being awful to each other, yeah. and doing awful things, yeah, uh so yeah, like by its like yeah, like thirty minutes after watching it, you're just like, wow, that was really powerful,
0: yeah, um yeah i I was just thinking that after seeing how Falk acts with Nell in that one scene, yeah, like seeing him with his wife at the end, yeah, it really. Has, it didn't really dawn on me until just now how like I mean sen- like his wife seems like a lovely woman like very supportive yeah. and, and uh, like he drops this thing on her where at one point him and Casabetti's hang out in a graveyard yeah. and they talk a lot about death and their history together and mm-hmm. uh, they're visiting uh, Casabetti's mom mm-hmm. and he mentions that he had a brother that died when he was 10 this kid Izzy and how they made fun of him because he lost all his hair before he died and like what a that detail is just like that is what kids would do they, they make fun of this kid for being bald and then the next day he dies and the guilt that those kids must have felt
1: Well, yeah i mean it's like super interesting at the graveyard he's giving nicky a hard time for laughing at iggy which is the brother mm. you know he's like i don't know why you guys had to laugh at iggy just because he lost his hair like you know what's he supposed to do And so you're like, oh, he's like part of why he's mad at Nikki is that like they were mean to his little brother who died young. Mm. And then at the end of the movie, it it turns out, (laughs) this is great for a lot of reasons, right? Because like throughout the movie, he's like constantly uh, berating Nikki and saying like, I, you know, like I have a great relationship with my wife. I talk to my wife about this stuff, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's and then a, of course it's revealed at the end of the movie because he says did I ever tell you about my brother Iggy yeah. and she's like no I don't think so <laughs> and there's
0: and her reaction is not to be like well why wouldn't you tell me about something like that it's yeah. like she's like here to listen to it yeah and just the idea of like Falk that, that, that's such a, a a human nature thing that I, I feel like very few pieces of art get where like one guy like feels like he knows more about marriage than the other and yeah. is kind of condescending about it and then as you see the movie like the things this guy hides from his wife, yeah. um, the behaviors he hides from his wife, and then the uh, – I don't know. It, its I feel like it, there are very few things that, that capture that kind of uh, doubleness or, or right. whatnot. Um,
1: well, and also, right, so like like in the graveyard when he's talking to Nicky about it, he's like berating Nikki about laughing at Iggy. And then when he's, but he, when he tells his wife about Iggy, he says he feels bad because he laughed at him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's like he can. He, it's true that he can be honest, at least at his wife, in a way that he couldn't be honest with uh, Nikki. Yeah. But yeah, it seemed like he's this. He his belief is that he has a very open relationship with his wife, and probably the more accurate thing is that like he talks to his wife, and she's a good listener. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> Uh, there's so many great lines. I mean, like um, so it opens. Um, he, like uh, you said, it opens the hotel. <laughs> I know exactly what you're about to say. Yeah, Nikki. Nikki calls Peter Falk and tells him to meet him at a phone booth on the corner. Mm. And so Mikey comes to the corner, and Nikki just stays in the hotel room, looking out his window at Mikey. And then he just starts picking up one of several empty liquor bottles, J&B Scotch. Yeah. uh, And he wraps them in like towels and napkins and tosses them out the window to get Mikey's attention. So finally Mikey gets up there and there's this prolonged scene of like him trying to talk him into, um, uh, trying to talk him into uh, letting him into the room. Uh, And then he finally lets him in and he goes, uh, he says, uh, I'm sorry I was late. I came as soon as I got your towel. Yeah.
0: (laughs) A line that like, you would think Elaine May, known for being a comedy director, she yeah. doesn't un- underline the funny lines. She no. just lets them like yeah. go and just then you fly keep fly right flying, by. yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so good. Um uh <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yeah. Uh I don't want to like overdo it, but um uh so uh, Nikki's held up in the hotel room. Falk is uh, Mikey's talking about how he's concerned about Nikki's ulcer because apparently you know again, a great a great way of revealing that they have a long relationship is Mikey knows about this ulcer is concerned about this ulcer. So he, he needs to go get milk or cream to like, uh, help soothe the guy's ulcer. So he runs across to, um, it's like a soda stand or something. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh it was like a diner. diner. Yeah. yeah. So he like, asks for milk and the guy doesn't want to sell milk because they, they only have it. Like they have like a dispenser of milk and then they have like small jugs of cream and, and, and you can like, only get it with the coffee. Like <laughs> if you order the coffee. Yeah. Yeah. So he's like, well, just give me 15 coffees and the cream but to hold the coffees and the guy's like okay he just he seems like he's not trying to be an asshole he's just like kind of a dullard yeah um, the guy's like okay And he's like okay and then so like then he starts <laughs> so Peter Fogg just dives over the counter and and goes, like, 15 coffees and cream or I'll kill you!" <laughs> he just like <laughs> loses his mind because it's, it's not I mean it's like it's very weird the way that Nikki is acting in the beginning but that I think is where the movie's saying like no no like this is real like this is a very tense situation yeah because and- you're not sure if like Nicky's just crazy or what
0: yeah um and it just occurred to me you know like he he loses a little brother young there's in the beginning there's very much like an older brother younger brother vibe between them that it flips as the movie goes on and yeah. you realize like nikki's kind of the cool one and right uh, mikey feels uh like like a kid in this world of men or something uh, right
1: yeah they did a, I, I thought it was gonna be Chekhov's um Chekhov's jacket swap Mm-hmm. but yeah. uh that doesn't really like i figure i like i was like as soon as i saw it i was like oh okay mikey's gonna get gunned down by yeah. accident
0: yeah they they switch jackets so that um nikki won't be seen right um it but it also fits with the role reversals throughout the movie right um really sets that up nicely
1: yeah it's true i just wrote down ned Beatty exclamation point and then i wrote down philip seymour hoffman vibes i was getting like Philip Seymour Hoffman vibes off of Young Ned Betty. He looks impossibly young in this, and especially like some like some reviewer like read my mind or had the same thought that I did because they were like, this is like the same year or a year or two before he does that performance in in Network. Oh yeah, yeah. Which is like in this movie he looks twenty five, and in that performance he looks forty five. But yeah, shout out Ned Betty, great actor.
0: There's, (laughs) I read in the trivia that Peter Falk thought that Ned Beatty was Warren Beatty's brother. And then when he found out that he wasn't, he broke into hives and they had to close down shooting for a day. Cause he was so embarrassed that he didn't, <laughs> that he did, that he
1: thought they were brothers. That's hilarious. <laughs> uh, good tip. Uh, I wrote down Cassavetti says uh, Anthony Bourdain vibes. Um, yeah, I can see that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I just wrote down. Yeah, because I I assumed it was in New York for a long time, and uh, then I, before I realized it was Philadelphia. But like America's favorite trash city, yeah, uh, it really captured well. But I but I was like like Ned Beatty stops for directions because he's trying to find the bar that that um, that Mikey and Nikki are at, and the guy at the newsstand. I was just like, this is the most Midwestern New Yorker I've ever seen, mm. and it's still, I, th- I still think it reads weird even if it's Philadelphia. But um, uh, anyway. Uh, the table, I just love the the table covered with uh, empty Schmidt's cans and Marlboros and Nipchi, uh, the uh, cheese crackers.
0: He just keeps telling me eat some crackers. Yeah, yeah.
1: and then at some point I wrote down Casavettes has Donald Fagan vibes. Uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I wrote down I don't treat the wife, I don't treat my wife the way you do. Um, oh yeah, that club that they go to like after they like. What is the deal? like? They decide they're going to go to the movies, but somehow they end up in this club. It's like a a, a black club, mm. and I was like, man, that place looks tight.
0: <laughs> um, I thought that scene at first. I was like, oh, they know that these guys are criminals, and they're like nervous. Yeah, about not, and then I realized when they said, "We know you're the man," they think they're fucking cops. Right, right. I, I really like how that scene's played.
1: Um, yeah, yeah, right. It's it's just a great like, yeah, great bit of like sort of like setting and and world building. Um, yeah, just like sort of like. Showing you the world as it is. Yeah. Um, uh, oh, yeah. And then it's revealed, like, not only is Peter Falk... I, 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 don't get, I don't know if the movie ever makes this clear, but, like, not only is Peter Falk trying to get uh, Nikki killed, but um, uh, his, his wife is like either knowingly or unknowingly helping because like uh, Peter Falk oh, calls yeah, his yeah. wife and tells yeah. them where they're going. And then maybe Ned Beatty calls his wife and she relays where they're going. Yeah. But it does seem like maybe she's just like cluelessly doing it. Yeah. Like Ned Beatty's just, just like, Hey, I'm trying to meet up with the guys. Where are they? Yeah. But either way, she's in on it. Um, <laughs> uh, Shirley drinks uh, G and T's gin um, Oh, the bus. Like I was just like, man, that bus looks awesome. Like the, the Just like the 70s Philadelphia public bus. So I was like, man, that's a cool-looking bus. Can't smoke
0: on it, though. <laughs> yeah, even Don't in the 60s. fucking smoke on the bus.
1: Yeah, even in the 60s.
0: Or even 70s, yeah, yeah.
1: Oh, yeah, sorry, in the 70s. Um, oh, yeah, the bus driver was M MM at Walsh. Yeah, yeah. Uh, great uh, great little cameo for him. Uh, oh, I just happened to write down the, um, the marquee at the movie theater that they were heading to. Uh, the Laughing Policeman, Time mm-hmm. of the Iron Hand. Mm. And uh, Triple Irons And I believe like Based on when Nady Betty walked in there It looked like it was uh, Time of the Iron Hand Yeah uh,
0: Yeah. (laughs) Laughing Policeman I think is a Swedish uh, It's based on these Swedish crime novels
1: I don't know Right on Uh, Oh yeah Mikey's an atheist Uh, (laughs) Great line Uh, That Michigus I leave to the Catholics Yeah (laughs) He's really
0: uncomfortable With death Yeah, yeah, (laughs) Yeah He really doesn't He's not superstitious About the graveyard But he's clearly Uncomfortable being around death
1: yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I, yeah, because like the whole time he's like talking about how he's an atheist, and then but then uh, they're walking around the graveyard, and he keeps saying "excuse me" to the graves. Yeah, yeah. And, that's a good uh, bit. And uh, yeah, Nikki's like giving him shit about it, and he says, "Do you know the difference between not believing in something and having a little respect for it?" I was like, oh, "That's a good one." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> yeah, you're you're making me forget the Kaddish. Uh, that was a good one, uh, brother Izzy. Yep talked about that oh uh, yeah so then they go to the they go to uh it is nell right nell nelly i, I don't remember her name but uh the indochina news she's like she's asking yeah. them to be quiet so she can hear the indochina news on the radio um there's like very telling line uh you like the news and she says i like to know what's going on which you know there's just a line that you can read a lot into if you feel like it um yeah, this whole scene is just so tough. And like I think this is like this is my memory of it, maybe it's not, but like this is like you said like the camera is like very much up in people's faces and it's handheld and it's moving it's around. It's super
0: claustrophobic in the scene.
1: But like my memory of it is like at some point the camera it's just like a wide shot yeah yeah so that you can see so like on the left of frame it's Nikki and Nell on the couch and then all the way in the back in the kitchen you can see with the light on and the camera is just like sits there and watches this whole gross scene it's
0: emotionally claustrophobic but yeah Yeah. good call like there's that that long shot
1: and and it's like literally five minutes Mm -hmm. of just like this camera sitting there watching this like horror show happen there's
0: there's something so creepy about the way Peter Fox character He's like Casavetti's character is just like kind of very, um, f- like just fucking sleep with me or whatever. <laughs> and Fox's character is like, oh, so you like the news? Yeah, uh, blah blah blah. And then he, he this rage kind of sets in where he's like, why aren't you fucking me yet? Yeah, like yeah. What, like I'm doing the nice guy thing. Like there's a real vibe of that. Um, like he's trying to be the civilized one, kind of going back to our closer talk where yes. Yeah the civilized and the uncivilized but there's no hiding the, the fucking brute especially once he starts slapping
1: yeah um yeah uh, uh um, yeah and, and there's this, like and the thing about that scene because like that scene is so uncomfortable but I was like again like I don't think they did it just to be shocking it's like it, it's supposed to be like I mean it's like like one it's like if you thought there was any reason to like these guys, let's just make sure that we know that you should not like these guys. Like they're bad people that do bad things. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah. Uh, but it is very hard, uh, scene to watch. Um, uh, Oh yeah. Continuity error. The marquee changed. <laughs> I noticed that. <laughs> um, uh, great, uh, great little, just like, like visual storytelling thing that, bi- that Ned Beatty's headlight has one headlight out. Like, I noticed that the first time they showed his car, I was like, oh, he's got a headlight out. And then I realized, like, oh, this is so that we, as the viewer, like, anytime, like, there's a lot of um, Nicky running around the streets, running from anything that he sees, but, like, we always know that's not Ned Beatty because Ned Beatty's got a headlight out. Yeah. I was like, ah, oh, good, good, good visual storytelling. Um, uh, I noted the, the mellow jazz score at some point in the movie. Um, uh, I was, yeah I read that at some point I, I noted that like several points in the movie Nicky accosts people and then tries to tell them what he uh, what he wants them to hear uh, just something that happens like several times oh he tries to t- no I know what I meant I meant to write down he tries to tell them what he thinks they want to hear mm. um, like he does that to Nell he does that to um, to Mikey he does it like several times yeah the movie. Uh, I wrote down, I was just like, uh, <laughs> at some point I was like, it's just sort of like sunk in onto me how dark this movie was. And I just wrote down, I think Joe sees Steely Dan more clearly than I do. <laughs> and I was like, I think like, I was like, it just occurred to me. I was like, I think Steely Dan is a lot darker than I think of them as being. And like, you just accurately see it.
0: <laughs> I, it may just also be that that's just what I'm drawn to. I <laughs> yeah, no, I, I know, I know. Just... This movie is darker than the song we are discussing. Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: But, uh, yeah, it's just funny. there's like you know, it just occurred to me. I was like, "Wow, this movie is really dark." And then I was just like, sort of thinking, uh, you know, I was like, "Wow, like, I listen to a Steely Dan song, and I think of some crap movie from the, from the '90s or the '2000s." And like, you think of these like really beautiful, but like really dark movies.
0: Oh, there's darkness and <laughs> duets. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. There is yeah. darkness there. It's got a
1: black, black soul. Yeah. Um, uh, oh yeah and then I just wrote that like at the end like the car is like Jaws uh it's like this like <laughs> haunting thing yeah. and then yeah my very last note was just uh Ned Beatty's a pretty good shot because uh he hits him from like 40 yards away with a snub nose revolver.
0: Well he's so irritated because this whole night's been inconvenienced <laughs> yeah. the whole time Ned Beatty is just like complaining about like basically like how little he's getting paid and like yeah. like parking and shit like that it's After the most hit man in cinema history like just like it's like listening to like my dad talk about a hard day at work or something. You know? Right.
1: Which, I mean, I think that's why I said like, it seemed like one of the things the movie was trying to say is like, don't be impressed with gangsters. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, although yeah, the one thing we haven't said so far, like the big boss guy that apparently put out the hit on, um, uh, I don't even remember his name, but, um, uh, yeah, I don't either, but played by Sid Meisner, the uh, man who developed the Meisner technique.
0: I didn't know
1: that. Yeah. That's just a, Something yeah. came up in a review. Um,
0: i i'll just say for anybody who wants to know more about elaine may there's a pretty good article in the ringer by Lindsay Zalads that it was i used for research called heaven can wait the hidden genius of elaine may that is an overview of her career um it includes this quote from charles Grodin, which uh uh is why I, it's shows why i find elaine may so admirable as a person elaine is the exact opposite of everyone else in hollywood She's always fighting to get as little credit as possible, to keep her name off movies, to not be invited to parties. She's happier without any of that. And uh, that's, that's, that's what fucking cool is to me. I don't know. Yeah, no kidding. Um, also, Jonathan Rosenbaum has a great piece about her work called The Myster- Mysterious Elaine May Hiding in Plain Sight. So nice. if people want to learn more, learn more do it
1: <laughs> yeah 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 uh, yeah check it out check out duets and uh and uh, mikey and nikki
0: yeah i can wholeheartedly uh, wholeheartedly endorse both movies this week
1: yeah and if you're a criterion channel subscriber mikey and nikki is up there
0: and the, the blu-ray they just dropped looks somehow
1: criminally i don't know why duets isn't on criterion channel yet but i'm sure <laughs> One it'll, of be these days. it'll be there shortly yeah
0: the, blue, yeah the new criterion blu-ray of it like it fucking pops the yeah. grain and everything looks beautiful yeah um yeah so Scott what's do we do what's good is that Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. okay yeah I yeah, forgot yeah. the format of the show Scott what's uh <laughs> What's good?
1: Yeah, I'm glad I'm glad you asked. This is the part of the show where we talk about just uh, things that are unrelated to Steely Dan that, that we've been enjoying. And I've got a have I'm I'm full of beans this week. We um, got a bunch of good stuff. I came in really excited to talk about uh, last time I talked about um, the Corey Doctoro book um, uh, Radicalized, which mm-hmm. I finished and uh, still uh, incredible. Um, picked up uh, um, copy uh, Biting Your Style. Um, found out uh, this is a book I've been uh, trying to get a hold of for a while, and they had it at the library. I didn't even have to wait on the transfer; they had it at my local branch. Um, Jim Harrison. Yeah. The, um, the Mozart of Montana. Did, um, did
0: he write A River Runs Through It? He did. He yeah. wrote A River
1: Runs Through It. Yeah, he's a novelist, a poet, um, and a- uh, Gourmand. Like, yeah, right. Yeah, famous Gourmand. Um, so there's a collection of um, magazine pieces. He collects a bunch of his writing about food called um, A Really Big Lunch. Mm. Um, I got it from the library, so and reading it, and like, it's like, I'm like 40 pages in, and I was just like, this is my new favorite writer of all time. It's just like, uh, somebody said he's like this like crazy mix of like- um, um like uh Hemingway plus uh Bukowski plus like uh oh uh not Bukowski but like Hemingway plus um the you know the road um Cormac McCarthy. Yeah, Cormac yeah. McCarthy. But like I don't know. It's just but like not, like not like not like the aggressively masculine but like out of that school but then a, a bit more lyrical. Um but yeah, just and then if you're interested in food at all it's it's fascinating. For those um,
0: who don't know Scott Scott is something of a gourmand. <laughs> yeah, for sure, yeah. It's a food food guy.
1: Yeah. But yeah, great writing. And, and if you're interested in food at all, it's, it's, it's awesome. Um, I meant to, I meant to grab this clip that he talked about. Like, just it's like two paragraphs of him talking about having lunch with Orson Welles. That was incredible. Oh, wow. Um, I'll, <laughs> maybe I'll try to grab it for next week, but yeah, check out, uh, the writing of Jim Harrison. Uh, check out his novels. If you like novels, check out his poems, if you like poems and then check out, uh, his uh, stuff about food, if you like food. Um, and then Friday, I finally made it out to Friday cheers. Um, for those that you don't know in Richmond, Virginia, um, they did the city or one of the, organizations of the city does this thing called friday cheers where they bring bands to do uh, a concert on uh, browns island it's a beautiful setting um mm-hmm. right between the canal and the james river there's a train track that goes right over the bandstand where the band plays um awesome place to see a show i've seen a lot of great shows there um the budos band was there on friday um out of uh out of uh, staten island um which is always cool uh and then opening for them uh had never heard them before but had heard of them piranarama um, starring, uh, a, uh, a mutual acquaintance of ours, uh, Reggie Pace, uh, plays trombone oh, with them. Um, but it's like a, kind of like a 60s surf rock, but like a big ensemble with like a trombone and a, and a, um, trumpet. Oh, um, cool. Uh, yeah. And like, a um, the, the, uh, front person is, um, this like badass, uh, bass player lady. Um, and, uh. But the guitar player is also like out of central casting. Like <laughs> uh, he's like a big dude with long hair, um, and it uh, is just like very, very, very cool. I mean, like I, I knew I was gonna love the Budos band, but like I think Piranha. I'm, I don't, it,
0: I don't know the Budos band. I've heard people say like, oh, they're coming, coming to Friday <laughs> Cheers. I had no idea who they were.
1: Oh yeah, so it's but I mean, you know Daptone Records. Uh, so sounds familiar. So Daptone is a record label up in um, uh, in Brooklyn, um, and they, you know, they're like a, a neo soul. R&B record label like they had Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings okay. um, Charles Bradley yeah. uh, Lee um, Lee Childs um, you know so th- this has been their thing it's like uh, it was you know when they formed it was like a group of like young guys mu- musicians that like would find these great soul singers and bring them in and so like the, you know the Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings Charles Bradley and the Screaming Eagles of Soul like it was always the same backing band. (laughs) It's like, it's like the Daptone studio band. And like they, you know, like depending on who they're playing behind, they have these sort of different incarnations and they also have like two and at least two that I know of incarnations where it's just them without a singer. There's the Menahan street band where they play just sort of like instrumental like, um, R and B jazz. And then the Buddha's band is like, they play stuff that it sounds like the soundtrack to like a, like a Sergio Leone movie or something. It's like, it's jazz, but like with like a distorted guitar. It sounds like vaguely southwestern. Okay, uh, that's that super cool. fun. Yeah. And, and yeah. I mean, those guys rule. Like they're such good musicians and like good good showmen and stuff. So yeah, great show. But like I think I I liked um, I even liked uh, panoramas set a, a little more and and like not just because one of my buddies is a man. yeah yeah um, that's cool uh, yeah I think that's all I got this week cool uh. <laughs> I'm just waiting. Again. While we're on Scott. the subject.
0: <laughs> Scott, do you have a question for me? <laughs> uh,
1: if I did have a question for you, it might be, uh, what's good?
0: Um, I'm going to keep it simple this week. Yeah. Because there's been one thing that has towered above all else. Maybe it says something about where I am in my life. Yeah. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe I'm, out, I'm ready to go out there, fall in love, <laughs> get, in, get into trouble, yeah. feel my feelings, see what happens. But for whatever reason, I've been drawn to the West Coast vibes of Joni Mitchell's Court and Spark, (laughs) playing it on repeat over and over. Maybe it's the weather. I don't know. Shout out to
1: Joni Mitchell. I love Joni Mitchell. I don't know if i spun that record. Oh. I mean, I love, you know, I mean, I've listened to the shit out of Blue, and um...
0: it's it's a great record. Um, It's got a Steely Dan connection because heavy guitar contributions from larry carlton um and and probably other la studio musicians um very jazz inflected record
1: yeah Um,
0: and i've been i've been spending it front to back basically all week like every day i get off work and i'm like what do i want to listen to court and spark um cool yeah so if you guys don't know court and spark fucking get on it because it's it's something else
1: I will spin it. Yeah, the other one I listen to a lot is Hajira, because I love... Uh, I think Coyote is my favorite uh, Joni Mitchell song. I but. haven't heard that one yet. I'm going to check oh, out. It's the one that she does on um, uh, the band um, Last Waltz. Okay. Still
0: yeah. haven't seen Last Waltz criminally. Yeah. Uh,
1: well, now, apparently right now, you need to watch um, yeah, the, the Bob Dylan one. The one, new one,
0: uh, Rolling Thunder. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, cool. Yeah, yeah. Joni Mitchell. Shout out to Joni Mitchell. So...
0: What are we doing next week? We-
1: <laughs> uh, well, we're going to continue our march through um, through Camp by a Thrill. We're going to go on to track
0: five. five? Track- Maybe the end of side A. Side
1: uh, yeah, that, that's, that must be right. Yeah. Um, track five. Uh, Only a fool would say that. Mm-hmm. Uh, back to Donald Fagan again. Um, so we'll be talking about that, and we'll be talking about two movies, uh, which we're about to reveal uh, right now. Would you like me to go first? Yeah. Uh, so I'm stepping off of my ledge of uh, just, like, weird schlock. <laughs> uh, I'm going to do a movie that's a little more uh, well-respected. Respe- well <laughs> I guess my first movie, well, no, Robin Hood Prince of Thieves probably weirdly has is, like, certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, but uh, this one I'm pretty sure is. Uh, so uh, only a fool would say that. Uh, we were talking before the mics. I was just try- trying to think of, like, what are, like, cynical movies, um, especially, like, and then, like you said, movies that I would be really excited to um to go back to. And so one that I have not seen in a bit, uh, that I would be, uh, I was glad for an excuse to, to revisit, um, from 2005, uh, from director Ryan Johnson. Uh, mm. I think it's his first, first flick, uh, brick.
0: Okay, yeah. cool, 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 cool. Have you seen brick? I've seen brick, okay. uh, when I was in high school, a long time ago. Cool. Um, so, uh, and I, I don't remember it. I remember it being dense at the time, like the, the dialogue. I think it took, yeah. I and think I was behind the curve on the dialogue, so...
1: The language nerd in me, that's one of the things I loved about it, is, like, the, the super... I mean, it's, like, very stilted, but, like, very snappy dialogue. And then it's, like, a, a neo-noir set in a high school.
0: Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, I'll, uh, looking forward to seeing it again. Yeah. Um, I remember, also, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's posture in yeah. the movie. Uh, very relatable to a hunchback like myself. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, my choice is not a movie this time ooh interesting breaking out. away we originally I'm glad the concept was any piece of media yeah yeah and I had some ideas in mind I thought about doing some counter programming and pl- <laughs> doing something that's kind of a um, more cheerful look at the world yeah um, but I might save that for some some other time yeah and instead we're gonna do a song this time uh, Frank App and the Mothers of Inventions Trouble Every Day okay uh, I don't from, know this one from Freak Out Right um,
1: I've really only listened to Hot Rats a lot
0: Okay well Hot Rats fucking rules Yeah, I, I'm not a huge snap ahead When I get in the mood uh, I can get down with it But if I'm not in the mood It's uh, kind of <laughs> It's too <laughs> yeah. much um, But this this is I would say Probably one of his, his key tracks um, And if you want to listen to the whole record uh, We can discuss that as well But mainly Trouble
1: Every Day Is, is every what day. I want to talk about Cool deal Yeah yeah, I'd love an excuse to uh, to dig into Frank Zappa. Yeah. Frank Zappa maybe the only uh, more dangerous musical thing that two musical idiots could talk about. Yeah, <laughs> The yeah. only thing that would piss off more people. Yeah, a lot of overlap between
0: Steely Dan and Zappa yeah. Heads, I think. Yeah, um, for sure. Yeah, cool.
1: Good deal. Well, then there's only one more thing to do before we let you guys go. Uh, Producer Dakota, what did you learn about Steely Dan this week? Uh, <clears throat> oh, sorry, I haven't spoken in a while. <laughs> Oh, sure. uh, yeah. Um uh, I also learned that I should make peace with uh corny music, but also keep an ear out for darkness, apparently.
0: Oh. Oh yeah. Yo yeah. Keep that ear perked up for dark. And I also learned that Paul Giamatti had hair. I'd never
1: seen him in a movie where he had hair really. Yeah. You still should, still not a full head then, but uh but way more than he is now.
0: After hearing about duets, do you want to see it? <laughs> I do want to see it. Yeah. I think you would no. enjoy it. <laughs> yeah cool yeah alright well until next time fucking
1: keep it stuff
0: jam (laughs) be fucking jamming
1: always be jamming later